right, here we go. Just getting everything set up here. Bear with me just a moment. And we'll get this all fired up today. Hopefully you're all doing well. Uh, thank you for coming by. Another Dungeons & Dragons Merge World story. Uh, story podcast. We're going to be jamming in some of that again tonight. I've been uh, all over the place working on the channel and stuff today. So hopefully everybody hears me and everybody's okay. Hello, Teresa. Hello, hello. Uh, let's see. Just going through my book here, finding where I left off. <laughs> I forgot to... Sitting here all excited, ready to start the story today, and didn't take the book out. <laughs> so, you're going to get a little caught up there. Um, hopefully you all had a good Halloween. Uh, for those of you who celebrate Halloween, of course. Uh, some of you probably do not. Ooh, I just realized we're getting close to the end of the first binder. I'll be moving into binder two of six here very soon. <laughs> all right, there we go. There's the war. All right, now we're finally caught up. So, um, let's see here. Let me jump in chat see what's going on. Uh, especially on the other side, the Canadian Kit Kat is better. It has a better flavor and it tastes more like chocolate. I like it better and it's more crisp. There we go. So, I, uh, what uh, Jim is speaking about there is uh, my wife and I had uh, lunch today with him and Smashley. Uh, and I provided them both a Canadian and American Kit Kat to see which one they preferred. And they made the right decision, which is important. <laughs> Hello, doggo. Good day, good day. Let me see. There we go. <laughs> Excellent. Okay. So we'll do a little bit of a recap to uh, set the mood, if you will. Um, in the last episode, um, our heroes have split up now. Half has gone one direction. Half has gone another. In one direction, Artemis has left Serenity with... Uh, the, I'll say, being Draven, uh, being chased by uh, Michael and Dandy. Um, the other uh, heroes, Darsh and Mercy, uh, were left to lead the forces of Serenity in defense against the forces of Oromon, which uh, was coming to attack. Yes, I see you there, Kitty. I got two kitties upset because they... Uh, they can't, they're both upset they can't fit up on the desk at the same time. And they're fighting over who gets to be up here. This is Patches. Hello, Patches. Say hi to everybody online. Um, so, uh, that battle was saved, luckily, by the arrival of several of uh, wizards from Paxawol, including Lamia, a friend of the heroes, uh, who has arrived um, much physically younger than she used to be. Uh, physically, I say, because mentally she's still the ages. Um, and again, I forget if I talked about why that is. I think, I think I explained that. But if not, we'll get into that a little bit later as well. Uh, but she let known that uh, Tobias, who uh, is a friend of the everybody, of course, their wizard friend, has uh, been captured and taken. They believe to to Oramon, and they need to get him back. Problem is, is something in Ormon keeps them from coming in as wizards. Something can sense where uh, magic is or is going. Every time tell wizards teleport in there, they very quickly get attacked or killed or captured. Um, and so what they've done is, Lumia says she has a spell that she believes can get around that, which will basically polymorph and change Darsh and Mercy uh, to look more like Ormonian soldiers. 
so that they can go in there and try to get uh, Tobias uh, and bring him back. Uh, but they had to leave all their magical gear and all their special stuff. All they took was some weapons and armor that were left over from Ormon that they had uh, defeated in battle. Uh, and along with uh, Mercy's uh, henchman, Quan, the three of them are going to be sneaking into the kingdom, or I should say the empire of Oromon, um, to try to get Tobias back. I believe that's kind of where we left off. So um, we're going to jump into that today. We will be continuing the Darsh and Mercy storyline, at least at the beginning. Uh, whether or not we'll get to Artemis at all today, I don't remember. I'm not sure. Depends on how long this takes to read. Uh, let's see. Turtle says, hey, Draven, I found you in the Lost Cities. What are the odds? Found me. Like, literally only, Draven? I saw that you posted a picture of uh, my skin. Did you just find one of the toys, or was it a mob with my skin? Because that'd be interesting. Um, all right. So, um, yes. So, as I mentioned, they were... Lumia teleported them just outside the borders of Ormon. She's afraid to port them any further than that in case they be sensed or caught by whatever it is that senses Ormon. And they go ahead and they uh, cross the border on foot. Uh, just the three of them. So, again, to clarify, Darsh, who is a minotaur, is now a very large human male. Uh, for him, things got bigger, because even though he's a large human male, he's much smaller than he used to be. Um, he's still as physically strong as he was. That's a big one. Um, and then the uh, Mercy is now a human male. That comes with a whole set of new problems for her. Um, and then Quan was already a human male, but now he looks changed his race and such, so he looks more like someone from Oromon. Um, so there's that. Um, so, they begin traveling. Um, and Oromon is huge. It is a massive empire. And it appears, at least from what they learned very quickly, that the majority of Oromon came through the merge. Oh, excuse me. Got up early today. Um, and they're traveling. They have approximate directions of where they're going. Um, but they very easily get further directions as they move their way in. So I've got a little bit to read to get us going. I'm going to eat this Kit Kat, and I'm going to do that. Um, I'm going to try something real quick. There we go. All right. So, before we get into the story, we've had some issues with the Nightbot um, mod thing that was popping up in channels and doing stuff. I have removed that, and now I have the Streamlot. Streamlabs Chopbot. So the uh, exclamation point Discord should now work accurately now. Um, it's not going to post up regular, at least at this point, regular posts. But I have hotkeys to be able to post up a lot of different things. And for those of you, you're going to see a couple here from it. So the first one I posted was a Discord. That'll get you in the Discord. I'll link to the website. Uh, for next weekend, that's the link to the Extra Life page for those who want to make donations. And for those of you who like Merge Worlds, there's the Spotify and iTunes link. So I can now pop these links up as needed whenever someone asks or if we're going over parts of the story. I can set up others as well. Uh, but it's it's uh, the new bot should be much easier to handle and uh, handle the channel a little bit better than Nightbot was. So excited. I've been working on that for the last hour and a half. So I'm glad it finally got working. 
Okay, so let's go ahead and uh, delve into the Empire of Oromon. Let me move the microphone a little bit closer to my face. All right. Again, I always like to preface, this is how I read it to them. So when I say you enter, I mean, I mean them. That's how it was written. Uh, you've journeyed through Aramon for several weeks now. So some time has passed, clearly. Everyone you met has been friendly, um, if not fearful of you. Uh, in either case, you're always shown respect. And the reason for that is that you are a soldier of Ormon. At least Mercy and Darsh and Quan appear to be at this point. Um, with the armor that they have on, uh, they look just like the military. And while people may be nice and friendly and regular people, the military is still to be respected if not feared. They learned that there are 12 main regiments of, elite, of uh, soldiers of Ormon, uh, which is the 2nd through the 11th, um, are all currently dispatched uh, to the war in the Southern Kingdoms. Uh, the 12th was dispatched to eliminate the growing threat of the Northwest, which was Serenity. So that's what Mercy and Darsh had battled um, and been successful. Uh, the armor that they're wearing now is of the 12th, so uh, their story that they were given was kind of that they were part of that force and was separated from the group, and now they're just trying to return home. Which would lead credence, because there are a lot of survivors as the main force that are... Uh, making their way back home, so they may eventually catch up to them. And they aren't hurrying, because they want to make sure they don't do that. Um, uh, the first are the personal soldiers of the Emperor. Uh, they occupied the capital city of Balamon, which is the, again, capital city of Ormon, um, and uh, travel with him. So uh, you could consider them the Secret Service and the, uh, the, the military of the, the home city. Uh, they are the best of the best, and it was one of Ormond's greatest honors to be one of them. So, um, you can rank up, nece not necessarily is like fifth better than fourth, or fifth, or first, fifth worse than fourth. Um, they're just designations of different armor, but uh, the first three, to get in one of those three, you have to basically excel. Uh, the first being the hardest to get in there. Uh, in fact, the only honor um, that is, the only greater honor in Ormond, is to be a member of the clergy. To be a cleric of Pandora is to be respected and honored like no other. Uh, they can walk the land without fear of being harmed, robbed, or molested. Hush, kitties. Hey! One second. They're fighting over a toy. Um, uh, let's see, here was I? Um, without the fear of being uh, attacked. The punishment for accosting a cleric was quick and fatal. Uh, so, you, you get caught robbing they, they don't play with you. They take out you, your family, your friends, your neighbors. They make a point of justifying that you do not mess with a cleric. Uh, Mercy and Darsh and Kwan had done their very best to avoid any temple or clerics on their journey. Um, that was advice from Lamia because if you think about it, these are clerics of lies and deceit. Illusions go on with that. If anyone could possibly see through her spell, it might be them. Uh, so they're being very careful to try to avoid even towns that they see may have what appears to be a temple in it. Um, in fact, they, again, they're trying to avoid civilization. Still, occasionally they need supplies and such. They they had supplies with them, but they can only carry so much. They don't have any of their magic stuff. Chests of holding, all the Artemis has that. So they only have what they can carry. A lot of times they have that fallback stuff. Um, in this situation, they don't. Now, they're, at this point where we're right now, they're only about a week, week and a half away from the capital, and they're traveling along a main road uh, that they've come across. So the lands of Oromon have been very, say, wealthy, um, 
very rich uh, in farmland, uh, nature. No, even the, at the towns they go through, you none of them look like poor. The people are not overtaxed. Um, they're not abused by the uh, by their leaders. I mean, they're they're definitely have a fear of their leaders uh, more so than you would, you would think. But um, as long as you behave and pay your taxes, things are actually pretty good for you in Oramont. Um, so not a lot of people trying to move out, if that's even allowed. Um, now, as they've been getting closer to the capital city, traffic has been increasing. You know, the closer you get, you know, they've passed around a couple large cities, or they've come to Forks and Road where there was a really big city this way, and they've had to give wide berth around it to avoid going through that. Um, but as they're seeing more and more tra uh, traffic, they're also getting a lot more nervous. The more people, the more likely chance they, they may do something wrong or give off a vibe, or, or somebody could see through their spell to see who they really are. And in a kingdom like Oromon, where Darsh the Minotaur, he might be able to pull off, oh, I was with those Minotaurs who died in the group. That'd be a hard sell. Um, Mercy would not, because there, there are no female warriors. Um, there are no female leaders. Uh, women are very disrespect. I mean, I shouldn't say like abused or anything like that, but they... they are very subservient uh, to the men in this in this empire. Uh, let's see. And then Quan, I mean, if anything, he, he just, he's an Asian character. There aren't anybody like that in Ormond, so uh, he would stand out a little bit. Um, so they are uh, traveling along at this point, um, and they're walking through a particularly wooded area. So it's still a main highway, uh, but very thick, dense woods on either side. The roads are very well kept, much like Paxwell. Um, especially the closer you get to the um, capital city, which is pretty huge at this point. It's, it rivals, if not actually probably larger than Paxwell. It'd be the largest city they've come across at this point. Based on the questions they've asked and described, and as they're going along, you know, they, like I said, they're dressed in armor and such. So anytime they do stay at an inn, um, food is free. They're given a room for free. That's, that's part of how that works. Um, they are, re whoever the, the innkeeper is basically sends a bill to the local area or to the, to the emperor and, and they, that's paid. They're paid for that. So that's guaranteed business. So people actually like it when, uh, soldiers roll up into their small town or village because that's guaranteed money. Whatever they buy or sell, they just basically send in a receipt. And as long as, you know, it's not exorbitant. Like, they stole 25 bushels of hay. What are, what are three guards going to do with bushels of hay, right? So uh, as long as it's realistic, they'll get paid for that. And again, there's less likely of anybody in the town being robbed or less while they're, they're, uh, while they're there as well is limited because nobody wants to bring down the might of the empire. Um, so uh, let's see here. Okay, it's about midday and they're walking through a particularly wooded area when they come across another small road heading to the southwest. It appears old and in disuse. Overgrowth is apparent and it leads off further into the dark forest. This road um, kind of goes up. It's not mountainous here, but it is very hilly. Um, and so I've been looking in that direction, uh, which would be technically southwest. Um, they can see that it rises up. It's very hilly. The road, which once was very probably a very good road, um, has fallen into disuse and disrepair. It's not being kept up because it's not a, a useful road. Um, an old signpost stands by the side of the highway. It too is overgrown with vines. And on a whim, Darsh clears away the vegetation to reveal that this new road leads to two places. The capital, 
uh, Balema, and the town of Dral uh, Dralin. No, sorry, Dralin. Make sure I say that right. Um, as they're reading the sign, an elderly gentleman on a horse and wagon pulls up next to them. You lads don't want to go be going up that road, he says. Um, and they're like, why is that? And he says, well, he goes, that leads up to Dralin. That's the old highway. You know, the old highway used to be the main highway, but this area was cleared out, uh, you know, 15, 20 years ago by the emperor to allow faster movement and such. And he's talking like this. You probably already know this, but if you're not from this area specifically, just because you're a soldier doesn't mean you've traveled in this area. He's like, that's an old road. That town is basically a ghost town. It'll get you to the capital, but I mean, it's, as you can see, not kept up. There's almost nobody living up that way anymore, and it's going to take you a lot longer. It's way faster to go on the main highway. And, uh, well, it's, you know, it's makes way safer and such. You know, the guards patrol it and such. Nobody really uses that road anymore. Darsh and Mercy and Coin are like, oh, thank you very much. We appreciate that. Now, I want to stress that at this point, they're on horseback. Uh, one of the very first towns they came into, um, they did not have horses, and they, learning that whatever they asked for, people would get paid for. They're like, hey, can we get three horses? People are like, yep, let's go. We'll get you three horses right now. Um, and we're able to procure horses for them, which has definitely helped. Um, but, of course, it draws a little bit more eyes to them. But they are in a hurry, because they don't know how long uh, Tobias may be kept alive, if he's even still alive at this point. After a little bit of chatting, the old man runs off, or continues off on his way. He's heading away from the city. He's coming, he's, the, he's going the direction they're coming from. And a little bit of chatting, they decide, you know, it might be better for them to take that road. Granted, it may take them a little bit longer, but the closer they get to the capital city, the more on guard they're going to have to be. If they can get pretty close to the city using this old road um, and not have to mess with coming across other groups of military, that's all they need is to run across remainders of the 12th and they're like, oh, there you are. Get part of us. We're going that way instead now. And now they're, they have to try to figure a way to sneak out in the middle of the day. You know, that's uh, a lot more challenging. So they're like, that might be a better idea for us. So they decide to take that roundabout to go. Uh, now, again, uh, as you know, this is a Dungeons and Dragons story. So things always happen. So the road uh, towards Drawn, this is what I read to them, the road heads uh, towards Drawn gets worse the farther that they travel. They spend more and more time off the road than they do on it. Um, trees and stuff falling and things. Like I said, it's clear no one's come through this way, and at least not like via wagon, maybe horses and on foot, but not very often. Uh, the forest goes thicker and darker as well. By midday of the second day, it's still almost as dark as night, even during the day, just from the overcoverage of the, the thick canopy of trees. Um, at night, their sleep is restless and troubled by disturbing dreams. Um, and it's during this time that they start really hammering down their plans because they've been getting as much information as they can on the way here without trying to give up too much on themselves. Uh, they know the basic layout of the city. Uh, they were able to talk to people. And it was easy to say, oh, yes, we're a member of this, but we've only been to the city once or twice. Um, you know, we're stationed way over there and not over here, that kind of stuff. Uh, thank you, blind PC guy, for the follow. I appreciate that. Thank you very much. Um, so it's not hard to say, hey, we're not from this area. We've only been to the capital a couple of times. We're, we're normally guards out on the northern front. And then we got pulled in when all this war stuff happened. So that's kind of been the story they've been running. Um, so what they kind of figure out they're going to do is when they get into Bellman, their goal is to find some place to hide. Um, 
if possible, as they get closer, they may try to ditch their armor and come in as like a farmer or something of that nature. See if they can get some clothes so that they're, you know, as a, as a merchant, try to come through that way because in the city, being a guard may be even a little bit more noticeable. Uh, it's great for traveling through the lands unmolested, but the city, that's going to give them some more attention than they may want. They're going to need to find some type of place to set up as a home base, whether it be an inn or something. They need to find some place that they can stash at to, uh, until they're able to track down where Tobias is and, and make a plan on how they're going to get him. Um, but, like I said, they've, they've got a couple ideas. They've been picking up a few things here or there. Um, hey, that's a nice necklace. I want that. You know, and they're like, you'll send them, send the bill. And people are like, oh yeah, sure. Not a problem. Cause that's how that works. If you want something and you, you signed your name to it. Uh, because again, the guards are held to, the emperor doesn't take them just going around robbing people either. You, you put your name down on something, you send in that receipt. Uh, it comes out of your pay, you know, uh, and finding out that you're not using the right name or you're being fraudulent. Uh, that's not, looked on as well, because the Emperor, while he does rule somewhat in fear, he keeps the people happy. There's no real reason for them to revolt kind of thing. Uh, so they've been picking up a few things here and there. Um, you know, not, of course, they, they show up in this town, they each get a ring or a necklace or something. They go to the next one, they do that again. The next town doesn't know they got that in the first town. They're building up a, a small supply of little things that they may be able to say, hey, we're we're jewelers. We're coming into the city to try to sell some of our wares. That was the, once they found out they could get materials that way, um, they started to do so. They had thought about bringing some jewelry from Serenity in the same way. Um, but then the concern there is it's not really Oromonian style. You know, they don't, the jewelry's made there. It might stand out as from something outside of Oromon, and, and they decided against that. Um, so let's see. So, like I said, that was kind of their plan. At this point, they just wanted to get as close as they could without messing with it. Um, baby dream. <laughs> All right, so let's see here. Uh, so, after several days of travel, uh, they begin to, uh, as they're getting close to the evening, uh, they, they can see the signs that they're starting to uh, enter into to the, the town of Drallin. They can smell smoke from a fire, at least. Not like a house on fire, but from a regular cook fire. And as they come into what was... Probably a, a small to medium-sized town, not huge. Um, they can tell very easily that most of the homes are, are just falling apart, you know, disused. Most of the homes no one's lived in for quite a while. In fact, the only building that shows any kind of life is clearly an inn that, uh, that is in the, the, near the center of town named the Cobbler's Knob. Um, uh, so the Cobbler's Knob is... Got smoke coming out of the chimney. There's some lights inside. It's, it's getting dark. It's pretty dark all the time just because of the overhead. But when they get to the town, there's not quite as much coverage there. Uh, so it's still kind of gloomy in the area. But it's getting... The sun's going down. They don't have a lot of sunlight yet. But there's still some light coming from the windows. Um, so, you know, they decide to head there first. It's probably where they would have went anyways, even if the other homes and businesses looked like they were open. Um, let's see. ba 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 ba, -ba. Now, around this area, most of the trees are missing uh, their leaves and such. Uh, it appears that the area they're in right now, and most of Ormond at this point, is becoming into uh, like a later fall. You know, it's getting into, into mid to later fall is, is, the, is the time of year that you see this area. So a lot of leaves are down. Jim says, great name. Jim, that place exists just outside Sevierville. We'll talk about that. Um, I used to live near Cobbler's Knob. Love the name so much I wanted to use it. Um, 
They make their way to the inn. Uh, they don't really see a place like stables. So they kind of latch their horses out front uh, to just kind of get a feel for, you know, go inside, see if there's something like a place they can board the horses for the night. So the inn door creaks loudly as they open it. Stepping inside, they find a dark chamber barely lit by the small hearth fire. Several people sit huddled around their tables. They look up at them as they enter, nervously examining them. They quickly look back down at their drinks. Um, once they just see, eh, you're not a problem, you know. But they look very quiet amongst themselves. People are barely talking. Um, everybody looks kind of slightly disheveled. Um, Greetings, lads, comes a voice from behind the bar. Um, standing there is a large woman in probably her late 50s. Her, hair, uh, her long hair is gray, tied into a ponytail, and it nearly reaches the floor. Very long hair. Um, it's not often we have visitors of your ilk in these parts. She introduces her, uh, introduces herself as uh, Fanny May Knob. Um, her husband owned the inn, uh, but sadly he died three years ago, and she's uh, been trying to keep it up since, which is, again... Very rare in these parts, because again, women are not business owners, you know. So the fact that she's still kind of running the business itself uh, probably lends to the fact that there's not a lot of traffic by people up in this area. She welcomes men, asks if they'd like to sit down, pour them, ask for a drink. They say yes. And of course, they ask, "Is there any food?" She's like, "Of course, as is always on the house. You, I'm sure you'll be happy to sign for it." And they're like, "Yeah, we'll sign for it because that's what you do. You you sign the paper. They send it to the." local taxman or whatever, and they get reimbursed. Minus the taxes, of course. Um, and while she's doing that, she's, she's very chatty with them. Because clearly it doesn't look like anybody else in there feels like talking. Everybody's just... She, they see probably eight or nine people. You know, table of four, table of three, table of you know two or three, and that kind of thing. Just a couple little groups. Everybody just kind of staring at the drinks, taking a sip now and again, just kind of looking at each other, occasionally stealing a little glance at our, our heroes at the table. Because again... First of all, this is an area where strangers don't pop up a lot. Second of all, this is the military. You definitely don't see a lot of them popping up here. And that's, uh, nobody wants the military up in your, up in your stuff. Uh, they ask a couple questions. They're like, oh, it doesn't seem like there's a lot of people up here. Uh, the, the buildings seem to be in pretty bad repair. And you can see she gets a little sad about it. She goes, yes. She goes, unfortunately, there's not very many people that live around here anymore. That new highway really, really destroyed the town. Um, everybody just goes up and around now. Um, all the business that used to travel through here to the capital city is gone. Um, the few people that live in here now, and she kind of gestures towards the guys at the table. There's no women. They're all dudes, of course. Um, she mentions that mostly people in here are just skinners and hunters that, you know, in the wooded area around still can make a bit of a living um, and then traveling back and forth to the capital themselves. Um, but most people have moved off to other towns and such on the highways or closer to the capital. Um, at this point, because there's just you can't get a wagon up here if they wanted to. It's it's all on foot or horseback. Uh, but they said, yeah, the new highway totally toasted that. Um, she also says that the people out here aren't used to strangers, so ignore the, this quiet, sordid bunch. And goes every night they're just in here drowning their sorrows. Because like there's any other place for them to go, and she kind of laughs. She's a little boisterous in the way she that she chats, um, but she seems really nice. Um, she says that she has uh, some food in the back. She goes, "It's not much," because uh, you know wasn't really expecting anyone like that. But if you'll give me just a little while, I'll come up with something tasty for you. They appreciate it. And the the ale that she brings tastes old. <laughs> Clearly, they don't make a lot of fresh ale around here, and they're like, "Oh, it's rough." Uh, but you know, they don't want to. 
they want to look bad here. Give me some water instead and shlug it down. She comes a little while later with several bowls of stew and some bread that uh, looks questionable. <laughs> but, you know, obviously edible, but not fancy. Like, it was more meant for them to just eat themselves. And the stew uh, smells okay, although it's very bland. There's not a lot of flavor. Clearly, this looks like meal that she may have made for herself that she's now dishing out to them. Um, as they do their best uh, to enjoy Fanny's home-cooked meal, because it's still something hot, and they haven't had something hot in a while, and the food doesn't taste bad, it just tastes bland. You know, and it's still warm in here, the fire and such. is getting late fall, so in the evenings when they've been camping, it's been a bit chilly. Um, they maybe catch the odd rabbit or something, but they got to be careful because, you know, they're not sure if they're breaking any laws or rules by, by somebody catches them hunting and find out it's not allowed because it's the emperor's forest or something like that. So they're sitting there kind of, they've been there a little while, about 20, 30 minutes. Fanny's off, bustling in the back, cleaning up some stuff, and they're just about done their meal. When suddenly the door to the inn bursts open, and a crying little girl comes running in. Our heroes immediately grab their weapons, like, what's going on, you know? And the people at the tables, they, they all look up in, like, slight interest. Screaming little girl, probably around, let's see what I have written down here, 10 or 11 years old. They and, and see her saying, and they just kind of ignore her and go back to their, their drinks again. She comes running in and runs right past Darsh, Mercy, and Quan, right over to to Fanny. She's crying, and as they run by, they can tell she runs by that her dre- her little dress, which is clearly not well made, it's old, is ripped, and there are scratches on her arms and legs, and a little one on her cheek. She's crying, and she runs into Fanny, and she's trying to talk. You know, kids are at that sniveling, and this, and the, and then this, you know, this kind of sniveling thing. And when she's talking, Fanny finally gets her calmed down a little bit, talking with her. At this point, they're really listening in. Um, she says, says that, uh, that men had broken into their home and attacked her family. That they grabbed her dad and brothers and dragged them out the door. And Mama had me run out the back door and said to go get help. Well, Fanny seems very distressed at this, and she says that she knows the little girl's name is uh, Sandy McFellows. She go, and she 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 she's called her Sandy. She gets the McFellows later. She, she kind of calms Sandy down, and she's like, "Well," and she looks at all the guys at the table, and they just kind of go back to their their drinks, and, like they don't want to get involved. Fanny rolls her eyes and cusses them out a little bit, and takes the little girl by the hand and comes walking over by the uh, Darsh and, and Mercy and them. And she says, "This little girl is Sandy McFellows. Her." Her family lives just a mile, mile up the road. One of the last farmers in town. Nice family and such. Um, I don't know if you ever heard that, but they said someone attacked her, and she ran that mile to get here. She doesn't have shoes on. she got bare little feet there. She goes, uh, these cowards clearly aren't going to do anything. I hate to ask of you, but being the military and all, is, would, would you mind looking into this? Because, uh, you know, these are good people and we wait too long to send for guards or send for local magistrate. It could be days before someone arrives and, and who knows. Um, clearly, this is not what Darsh and Mercy were hoping to get involved in. Local problems they've avoided as much as they possibly could. Once or twice, they've, you know, they've asked, hey, do you, should we, you want to take this guy to the next town, this criminal? And they're like, no, we can't. We're military business. Um, but... Clearly, there's no one else to help this little girl. And them being the nice people that they are, they're like, well, um, yeah, okay. Um, 
we'll go take a look at that and then we'll come back here to crash out for the night and things like of course yes well i'll have rooms ready for you and uh i'll do my best to you know maybe have some some more warm food for you when you get back now that i know you're coming back a little time i cook something a little better for you but i definitely appreciate it and they're like uh which direction do we go and she, Fanny turns to little Sally and says, can you show them how to get to your house? And the little girl's crying. She's like, mm-hmm. He's like, okay, okay she'll, she'll take it. And hopefully you can get her back to her family. And, you know, if things are bad, please come back. And I'll see what I can do to get these losers to try and help. The men just kind of look down at their drinks, ashamed, very little emotion. They try to avoid the, the eyes of everyone looking at them. Um, but Darsh and Mercy and... Quan are like, well, okay, we'll, we'll go do that then. And they're kind of like in a hurry. This little girl's clearly upset. They're like, okay, we, we need, we'll go take a look at this. So they go back out and hop on their horses. And um, Quan has Sally riding with him on the back of, of his horse. Um, and they start making... Of course, they're on horses and they're making pretty good... So they're not like dashing, of course. they got a little girl on the back. But they're making pretty good speed. And it doesn't take them very long to go a mile on horseback. It's really not that far on a horseback. Um, so the ride to the McFadden Farmstead isn't long. Uh, Sally sits behind Quan, Ar- uh, arms tightly around him. As you come down the lane, because it's as you're coming down the road, she points and they have to go down this kind of windy lane to get there. Um, as you come down the uh, lane, you can see a farmhouse in the distance. A short distance past it is a barn. Pretty good sized barn, to be honest. Both buildings appear old, but in okay repair. Clearly they could use some fixing up, but not as bad as the businesses back in town. They don't see anybody in the area, no signs of life. Much to their relief, they also don't see any bodies. You know, because that's what they're afraid they're going to come up here and find a bunch of people. He said dragged out, they could be dead on the road, you know. Their thought is hopefully they're just being robbed or worst case enslaved or something. Maybe they can still get to them before they're too bad harmed. Um, It's awfully quiet, of course, so they're being careful because they don't know if there's an ambush. They may not even know the little girl made it out, but they're still being careful. Uh, let's see. So they make their way up and they, they kind of park their horses and, and Quan tells little Sally to stay near him. They don't want to leave, leave her at the horses, of course. Like, you know, so stay near me. Don't go far. She's like, okay. <laughs> She's still trying not to cry. And he's like, you gotta be quiet now. We're going to try to help out. And, uh, they carefully work their way in. And normally they would send Quan in first, but he's kind of got the little girl. So Mercy kind of goes in first with Darsh right behind her. Um, and as soon as they get up to the front of it, you can see that the front door has clearly been kicked in. It's got a split in it. It's hanging on one hinge. Something kicked it pretty hard and knocked it in. Um, they move in again. And as they do, you can see there's blood splattered all over the place. Like the inside's been trashed. Chairs have been smashed. There's blood all over the floor and up on some of the, like would be the couch or the chairs, kitchen tables and things of that nature. It's definitely bad things happened here. Um, but there's no bodies. I need to stress that blood, but there's no bodies. Um, and as soon as we get in there, you see how bad it is. The little girl starts crying even more, obviously. Quan's like, just be, be careful. We're, we're going to find them, you know, that kind of stuff. And so they're looking around and they're trying to check the place. And they're looking for something and something feels off about the situation. Um, and of course, during this time, Mercy and Darsh start asking me, the, the DM, several questions. You know, like, okay, well, um, there's a, the back door that, Sally said she ran out of. Does it look like it's been damaged? And it doesn't. It's closed as normal. Or I'm sorry, it's not closed. It's compl- It's open, but it's just sitting there. No, no damage, which kind of matched the story. They told Sally, she mom told her to run that direction. Um, they look around for anything of value, and they don't see anything that looks like it was robbed. Everything was kind of it's destroyed, but they don't really see anything like 
plates or blankets on the bed, something that looks like, you know, current. And Darcy steps over by the, the fireplace, looking down at it, kind of confused, when all of a sudden they hear Sally say, Mama? She quickly turns around and runs out the door, and you hear her yelling, I hear you, Mama, I'm coming. And Darcy, you know, they're all looking around the room. They, she was kind of sitting, standing near the door, and she just bolts out, you know, like kids are. They're gone. So Darcy and Mercy look at each other real quick, and then all three of them and Quan just go running out the door. Because if somebody does need help, she heard them and they didn't. She was closer to the door. She may have heard them and they didn't. So she runs out the door, and they get outside just to see the little girl running into the barn, still crying, but she runs into the front door of, of the barn. And they book it over there as quickly as they can, still being cautious. Because, you know, that's where the bad people could be. So they're armed, they got their weapons out, they're ready to go. Um, and they go, they, they go in there, and they see that it's dark inside, there's no light lit. Um, now, Darsh has infravision. The other two do not. And Mercy doesn't have her circlet that lets her see in the dark. So... Darsh is going to go first because he's got a little bit better vision. It's mostly, it's dark outside at this point pretty much anyways. Uh, kind of bright from the moonlight and luckily there's no trees blocking where they are right now. Um, but while he does that, Quan starts struggling to get a torch and try to light one up. Um, and they kind of make their way into the barn and they don't hear anything and they, they start calling out quietly to Sally uh, to see if anything is okay, if everything's okay. Sally, where are you at? Mrs. whatever her last name is. Mr. whatever. Is anybody there? And then Quan comes in with a torch. And then they see movement. And someone comes out from behind the, uh, uh, some bales of hay or old wooden rickety where horses were. And then some more people come out. And then some more people come out. And it's very quickly easy to tell that these people are all dead. Zombies. <laughs> Happy Halloween, by the way. <laughs> At least... 10 to 12 zombies start stumbling out of the barn towards them. Heroes kind of caught surprise, but at least they had their arms out. I mean, their weapons out, not their arms out, like clearly. And normally you'd think, okay, well, let's get out of the barn and try to fight them better. But the little girl ran in here and they, now they're like, oh God, the little girl's going to eat my zombie. You know, somehow her family got infected. Because that, that's obviously the thought. Zombies busted in the door, bit her family. Blood everywhere, then the family rose, now they're all zombies hanging out in the barn. The barn door was wide open, they could have just waddled in, you know, whatever the case is. Uh, there's no, they, they didn't get in far enough to see if there's animals, so the zombies might have gone in there after some animals. Because they didn't see any animals in the pastures or anything of that nature. And that's one of the things they asked a little bit later on. I didn't see, did we see any cows or chickens or pigs or anything? Um, and the answer was no. Mm, if they were all in the barn and the zombies went in there, mm, chicken wings and bacon. So, uh, they decide they're going to stay in here and try to find Sally. And they tell Quan to look for her while they try to handle the zombies. And Quan's still going to be helping and such, but he's quicker and more agile and can climb up things. Like he said, he's, he, he and Dandy have a lot in common. Um, he's normally the, their sneaky stealth guy. So, he starts booking it around and doing stuff like that. Um, and they start attacking the zombies. Now... Zombies, even a group of them, normally aren't going to be too bad for characters as high as these guys. But they are... Uh, completely unarmed from their magical weapons, right? They don't have any of their magical gear. And number two, they're both fighting in bodies that they're not used to. And that's a big thing. And that's something I made clear to them before they decided to go on this quest. Oh, we got there. One second.
Hey, MT, thank you very much for the donation today. I appreciate that very much. Oh, that is awesome. For the bonus merch world stream. I appreciate that. Thank you very much. In fact, I, speaking of the bonus merch world, just a quick aside. Um, I have been chatting and I think that I might start doing merged worlds three out of four weeks. I may do Merge Worlds three weeks, and then the off week would be the members-only stream that we have monthly. Um, so I might start doing a little bit more Merge Worlds. It's more and more people are coming to listen to it. I'm getting more and more feedback that people are enjoying it. Um, in fact, I got some new reviews on iTunes and some more followers on Spotify. So uh, more and more people are coming to it. So I, I may start doing it uh, a little bit more often. One of those off weeks may end up becoming a Merge one. I was going to chat about that near the end of the stream and with the community and see what you guys think. Um, but thank you very much. For the donation, I appreciate that. So they're attacking the zombies, right? And as I mentioned, they said they're in different bodies. Darsh is smaller than he was, even though he still has his strength. His body is... He's using weapons he's not used to. Mercy, whole other world for her. Uh, Quan's the one who actually has the uh, least amount of negatives from this because he just looks a little bit different. His build physically is all pretty much the same. Uh, so he didn't have as many negatives. Darsh had the most negatives um, and Mercy had a decent amount as well. And their negatives differed in what they were, what their negatives were, but these are things that they knew about before they walked in here. This is how it's going to affect you. Uh, it's found a way to use commands to change the skin of humans from head crumbs. Oh, that's cool. So... They're able to make pretty short work of the zombies. It wasn't too bad. Um, even with their negatives, they're, they're still pretty good. And, I mean, these are the two combat-oriented characters. Although, at one point, somebody did make the joke, figures, the zombies, where's Dandy when you need her? You know, Darsh mumbled that at one point or something and made Mercy laugh. Um, but they managed to defeat all the zombies. And they start searching the place to see if there's any more zombies anywhere. And there aren't any. So they're still looking for the little girl. Uh, they don't find any sources of her inside, or inside the barn at all. But there are a couple exits, so their hope is that maybe she ran out. So they decide to go outside the barn, see if they can find her out there, and they start calling out to her. Um, and they're only out there a second before Quan draws their attention to their horses, which now lay dead on the ground with their throats slashed open. There are no signs of anyone else in the area. There are no signs of zombies out here. Um, the only thing that they see are small, child-sized footprints in the horse's blood appearing to head back towards town. You know, it takes a few feet before the blood wears off and you're running in grass. It's not going to be footprints forever. But there are clearly some footprints in the horse's blood. So now, of course, their concern changes to, oh, okay, what if this little girl's the problem? Now she's going back for everybody in town. So they start busting hump to try to get back to the village as quickly as they can. And they're running. And again, some of them are in slightly different bodies. And they haven't, doing, haven't had to do any real combat stuff in the last several weeks. So while they've been learning to live in these bodies, they really haven't had a lot of opportunities to fight in them. Uh, but let's see here. With everything in the travel, it says here, it's well after midnight um, when Draylon once, once again comes into view. Uh, they move down the road towards the inn as quickly as they can. Um, as they come into the town, they're halfway in, they see the inn just slightly ahead, they begin to hear the moaning and groaning from around them, and as they, they start looking around, you know, they see more zombies start to come shuffling out of the different buildings that have been empty this whole time. Um, and yeah. So, 
In this situation, for those of you who don't play Dungeons and Dragons, I advise them all to run a check, you know, roll for an intelligence check or whichever check it was. Um, me doing this, and again, I'm just throwing this out for the people that normally play. If I say make an intelligence check or a wisdom check, they have a number on their paper, they roll the dice, they have to be under it or over it, depending on the type of check they're doing. If they're successful, then something good happens. If they're not successful, something bad, or they miss something, like a clue or something of that nature. Um, so in this situation, I had them all roll, and um, Quan was the one who successfully got the roll, even though he's a non-character, he got the roll as well. And he draws, you know, Mercy's still, like, you know, his lady, like, Lady of Mercy. Although they, they go by different names at this point. I want to say, I can't remember what his name was. I think he went by Merc, because it was, like, short for Mercy. And uh, Darsh went by, like, Krog or something. He'd come up with some really blunt military name. And uh, Quan just went by Chen, which was kind of his last name anyways. It's just it's Shen. Uh, but they, they went by those names. So in this situation, everything happening is like, Lady Mercy... Look at the zombies and what they're wearing. And they look at them, they can tell very quickly as they start paying attention to it that the zombies that are stumbling out towards them um, are all dressed in the same clothing that the people had sitting in the inns at their table. Uh, now looking at these zombies, these are not new zombies. These have been zombies for a while. Um, and of course they get ready to, to fight some of these zombies. And the zombies kind of stop for a second. They all like just stop moving, and they hear, a, they hear a laughing. And they look across the courtyard towards the inn, and standing just outside the door is little Sally next to Fanny. Um, and Fanny says over here, You boys are more powerful than you look, cackles Fanny. By far the most powerful to visit this cursed town in a long time. Sally giggles, an evil little sound that rattles your nerves. That's a little girl. But you'll die, Fanny continues, as all the others before you. Your corpses shall rise to feast on the flesh of the living. And uh, says, I'm like, get them, boys, or whatever the case was, and the zombies start coming in. Um, and they enter into combat, and they're fighting these zombies. So total zombies around them, they see another about 14, 15 zombies total. Um, but there could be more. That's just what they see at this point coming around. Um, and kind of back-to-back, -back, the three of them um, really go at it. It was a pretty easy fight at that point. They were, they were taking out the zombies relatively quickly. Um, after several of the... Over half of the zombies had dropped, <laughs> phase two of the boss fight happened. That's how I roll. Fanny cackles out, I shall honor you by allowing you to die by the hands of one of your own. Fanny cackles again and then begins to speak strange words that none of you understand. Sally's voice soon joins in and it becomes more like a chanting. And above you, the sound of thunder, uh, you hear the sound of thunder, yet the air goes deathly still. So they hear a loud crackling and crumbling, but there's no storm. The air goes still. Um... They try to start moving forward to get to them, but the zombies are in between them and Fanny and Sally. Um, but they're still trying to fight their way through. Uh, they need to take out a couple more zombies when suddenly the ground before them cracks as earth spits up. They hear a sound of a horse whinnying loud 
with a deep echo, so like a horse's thing, but with a de- like an echoed sound behind it. The characters take a step back as a horse, black as night, bursts from the ground. Its eyes and mouth emit a yellowish-green flame, and upon its back sits a dark rider, dressed as in armor much like theirs, though much older-looking. Upon its shoulder, where its head should be, there is only open space, yet a deep, sourceless laughter fills the air. Uh, Nick Hacks, did you make up the story? Yes. Uh, this is a Dungeons & Dragons story campaign that I've been writing and running for close to 30 years. Um, and I'm kind of sharing that story with everybody. So yes, this is, this is my, my campaign. Uh, it's my favorite thing uh, that I get to share is the, the Merge World stuff. Getting to tell the story has been a big part of my life for a very long time. Um, so... Now they have a few zombies, two witch ladies of some kind, and a headless horseman on some type of nightmare, uh, which is nightmare is, is a horse in D&D. It's a scary horse, undead horse. Um, clearly, this is reminiscent. When we played this section of the story, back when we played this, uh, this part of it, uh, it was actually on Halloween weekend. So I had themed it to be slightly Halloween-like, um, and it just kind of worked out coincidentally that... I'm getting to tell that part of the story the day after Halloween. It just kind of worked out well that way. Um, but this was the Halloween themed. I try to do some, if I can, I try to do some type of holiday theme thing around uh, Halloween and Christmas several times. So down the road, you'll, you'll probably see some more that may not fall on a holiday, but you're like, this feels like it was a Halloween episode. Feel free to ask. I'll let you know if it was. Or Christmas. Christmas is usually easier to tell. But now they have to deal with the remaining zombies, and there are a few more that come stumbling out of the house. The headless horseman, who, let's be honest, he's a bitch to fight. He's, he's pretty powerful, and they don't have a lot of magical gear. The, I should take that back. The only magical gear they have... Uh, no, they don't have any magical gear. I take that back. They were going to bring some of the swords that the elites carried, which are sword plus ones, but you have to be an elite to get those. Uh, so they're afraid that that would be too noticeable. So they did not bring that. So they're having to fight this thing uh, without any official magical items. And occasionally a zombie will stagger up. So the zombies now are spread out. They've taken out most of them. So they're fighting what they're they're fighting the headless horseman and then every couple of rounds a zombie shows in and they gotta fight that off. One of them have to fight that off while the other one keeps the attention of the, the headless horseman. And then they're back to that again. And then another zombie will come up the other direction. And the other one's gotta take out that one. Um, and it goes back and forth. Uh, this feels like a Halloween quest. Was how ha- yes. We played this part right on Halloween it was, I think it was the day before Halloween, the year we did it, uh, and is when our, we used to play D&D on Sundays as well. I think the Sunday fell, it was a Monday, it was Halloween, and we played the Sunday. So I made a Halloween theme specifically, so I was very lucky that it fell on this weekend as well. Uh, but yeah, so they're fighting that. And a lot of times, um, while they're fighting the Headless Horseman, um, when there are zombies and things popping up, it's Mercy and Quan that step back and take a couple, take care of those. And that's because, again, now that they don't have magical gear, um, just because of his unnaturally high strength, Darsh does way more damage. Um, when they all have their regular gear, Mercy's a lot more on par with Darsh, with the gear that she has. Um, but in this situation, they don't have any of the magical gear. Darsh's strength really is, is, is the big thing. So he's, he's 
and he's a big guy, but he's holding the, the headless horseman off, who has a sword and such, and he's, he's on his, he's still on his horse, and he's slashing down, and they're attack, trying to attack the horse, too. They, they had a whole theme, like, Mercy was attacking the horse, Darsh was attacking the headman, uh, head, horse, headless horseman, uh, Quan was trying to keep the zombies off, but when there were no zombies, he helped Darsh or Mercy, whoever needed it the most. So they kind of had a little plan there that fluctuated based on their needs. Um, and then, Fanny and Sally, occasionally Fanny would cast a spell at them, um, which was just a huge thorn in their side because they, they really can't get around the zombies and the Headless Horsemen as much to get to her. Um, so they're in a position of frustration because they're like, okay, even if we can take out this Headless Horseman, we've got Fanny and the kid. The kid clearly is evil. Do we kill a kid? hard thing to talk about. Hard thing to think about. It's not something they've had to deal with, really. Kids like 11 or 12 years old, but like, really evil. Right? Um, so that's something that they're fighting and discussing at the same time, which, of course, Fanny mocks. You know, I, I make a point of saying things like, oh, you're talking like you're going to win, you know, and things like that. They're like, oh, maybe we can save the girl. They're like, she'll feast on your bones, and that kind of stuff, you know. Just a cackling at them, the little girl doing the same. Um, but they enter it and they, they start doing their combat and the Headless Horseman is, is really doing some damage to them. The zombies, not so much. At this point, most of the zombies are gone. Um, and so a decision is made that Mercy and Quan are going to try to get past the Headless Horseman to focus on the, the, the women. Um, and of course, their concern is, does the Headless Horseman then turn to defend them? leaving Darsh maybe some open attacks uh, to, to do damage to it from behind. Um, and Quan and Mercy kind of go opposite directions. So if it does turn to get one of them, the other one might be able to make it by. While Darsh just throws every attack he's got at him, uh, kind of uh, haphazardly. So like when you come, he's, he's, he's being slightly, I guess you could say, uh, unrefined in his attacks. So he's just brute, blah, 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 to try to keep the attention, which opens him up to taking more damage, but it does make it a little harder for the Headless Horseman being a, a, a fighter. If you think about that, someone's just swinging at you wildly. It's hard to defense that. You're just more dodging, like, okay, get, settle down, I'm going to get you. Um, and that's kind of what Darsh is doing at that point. It doesn't really do a lot of damage, but it does tie up the Horseman a little bit more. It's a strategy that they've used against enemies in the past. Darsh or Mercy or someone, usually a melee character, uh, does that wild stuff to... There's a better chance they're going to get hurt, but it does limit the other person they're fighting's ability to interact with anything for a moment. Uh, because that's how life works. Uh, excuse me. So, this happens, it works. The horseman starts to try to turn, but then Darsh... Run, the, the, the horseman starts pressing harder on Darsh, using this situation of just one... The opposite, against him. While Mercy and Quan kind of go around um, at Fanny. Uh, Fanny casts another spell. Uh, I, I want to say the spell she was casting, she was a witch. She was not an actual, like, mage. So her spells were a little bit more limited on what she could do. Um, but they were like corrupted nature spells. Uh, the way I played her is almost like she was an evil druid. Um in theme for spell choices. That's kind of how I made her. It's not an official class or anything in D&D, &D, but it's kind of how I, I, I played her. Uh, so vines and stuff come up and, you know, things like that. Thorny vines and, and such. Uh, stinking clouds of, like, 
like mold and things that would make it hard to breathe and give them negatives to fight and all that kind of stuff. Hello, Patches. Welcome back. Um, but they get in there, and as they're getting to fight, um, they get up close. Fanny pulls out this really wicked, long crisp blade. If you're not familiar with the crisp blade, is that's the serpent kind of blade that you you see a lot of times in movies, sacrificial blades. Um, and the little girl goes, takes off behind her and runs into the inn. Um, Mercy enters into combat with Fanny and yells to Quan, go get the little girl. Because we don't know what she's doing in there, but I'm sure it's not good. Go deal with the little girl. And Quan doesn't like leaving Mercy, but at the same time understands the importance. He kind of, Fanny's kind of blocking the door. He takes one look at her and then just jumps through one of the windows. You can picture like the big glass window, so I just kind of jumps through that, smash and rolls inside the inn, ready for zombies, but luckily they were already all outside and he didn't have any zombies. And he, sees, he doesn't see the little girl, but he does see the stairs going up to what would have been the rooms, so he runs off up there. Um, Mercy's trying to get at Fanny, and Fanny's doesn't really have any military training, but the blade... Uh, it, it has like she just being close to it. She spins it uh, like like a liquid comes off it that she hears sizzling and popping, and it gets close to her. Uh, it's some type of acid thing, and she's swinging this blade. Uh, Mercy's just you know having to try to dodge it, and the splashing hitting her face is even causing a little bit of damage, and is making her kind of fight a little bit normally. Uh, Darsh having a heck of a time with the headless horseman. Darsh is taking a couple really big hits at this point. Um, he starts calling out, like, whatever you guys are going to do, you're going to need to do it quick. I'm not sure how much longer I can keep this myself. And so Mercy, who is again wielding a sword, not her traditional morning star. She's wielding a sword, but she's very proficient in that. Um, decides she's, she's going to have to just go ahead and kill Fanny, which it, she thought that was going to be, she, she was trying to think of ways, is there a way to, you know, capture her and figure out what's going on. Uh, Mercy still being the nice person she is, but uh, finally, and without, she gets to that point. She's like, I don't even have a choice, and so she just straight up uh, lobs her head off because she did. She uh, she beheaded her. She rolled a natural twenty in that fight. I have it written down on my paper. Uh, I said natural twenty beheaded. <laughs> so she rolled a natural twenty, um, and then she rolled my critical hit dice, and she rolled beheaded. So she literally lops off Fanny's head. Um, when that happens, the Headless Horseman starts to act wilder at this point. The horse starts thrashing around. like Not like it's lost control, but like it's angry. Um, I had to narrate to them kind of what was happening because they didn't get to see what was happening in, happening in the house. Um, but finally, after you know, Mercy leaves Fanny and they're both fighting, the, her and Darsh are both fighting the Headless Horseman at this point. And again, things are looking grim. It's Halloween, and I like them to be grim. Um, the headless horseman kind of just stops and backs up on the horse, and they're like ready to fight. And they're like, "Okay, what's happening?" And they hear a noise behind. Them. They look back, and there's Quan, and he's holding a skull in his hand. Um, and you know, he he's looking at it, and he's looking at the headless horseman. And he looks at Mercy, and he's like, he's like, I'm not controlling it, but I don't know what to do with it. <laughs> and Darsha shells, smash the damn thing! <laughs> so Quan's like, eh, and just smashes it against a pole on the deck there, the, the pole that you put the, the horse straps on. Just smash it, it shatters. And as it does, the horseman just, it's like a screaming sound mixed between somebody screaming and like, uh, like air rushing out. 
a high screech of that thing. And it kind of crumbles into dust and the ground opens up a little bit and the, the dust kind of gets sucks up and fades down into it. And then the road kind of covers up like nothing was ever there. Um, Quan comes walking up to them and they're like, whew, that was a close one because I got no healing, remember. All their support staff is not with them. Uh, they have some regular bandages and stuff they brought. And Mercy looks at the little girl, looks at him and says, the little girl? And he looks very unhappy. He's like, I didn't have any choice. And Mercy's like, oh, damn. Okay. And uh, she takes his word. He's like, I'm, I'm not going in there. <laughs> but Quan, unfortunately, this was a, a very bad moment. Quan uh, normally does not you know, hurt children. Um, but it was kind of a hurt a child or, or lose his lord and, and lord's friend. Um, and so he had to make the choice. The little girl uh, was armed in there with a dagger, much like Fanny had, um, and was protecting the skull. And as soon as he saw she was protecting the skull, he realized that's what it was. Um, and that was not, not a good day. With repercussions for the future. They do kind of look around to see if they can uh, find anything, you know, of value. I mean, you know, you loot the bodies. It's D&D. But they look around to see if they can find any more living people, anybody else, and they don't find any. Um, but what they, what, what Quan did have, he goes from the same room where the skull, scroll was, he goes back in there and comes out with a small box that clearly the head was in. And inside of it are a couple other, um, what you call, like, probably spell components. There's a talisman in there, you know, pagan-looking talisman kind of thing. Um, the only thing they uh, they didn't find, there's nothing from the Headless Horseman, because clearly he just went into the ground. Uh, there were no other living people anywhere in there. But what they do find is a letter. Um, and it was uh, a letter of declaration. Um, and it's it was a declaration where it, it lists uh, a woman uh, name, which after reading it and figuring it out, they could tell is Fanny's mother, who had been accused of witchcraft and had been executed. And it was signed by Brutus Knob of the uh, of the third. Uh, so they figured out the headless horseman was Fanny's husband who killed her mother for witchcraft. Um, and that's why he had a, he was the magistrate of the area her husband was, even though they owned the thing, he was still technically a military guy and, and such. Uh, when his, when his mother-in-law was accused of witchcraft, uh, and it was proven, uh, he beheaded her, which kind of became the, the justice line. I think there's a note I had written out. I don't have it anymore, but a little scroll that they got to read, it told the, the story and the declaration and everything. Uh, but that's why the storyline happened. Um, the little girl uh, was actually Fanny, was led to believe it was either Fanny's child, but the way it worked is that she was right around the same age as the letter. So it's like she was pregnant with the kid when the husband died kind of thing. So she was raised to be that way. But that was uh, that was the story of, of Drowlin, and that was their little... Uh, it was a little Halloween adventure, and it took a it took a whole session of D and D to go through all that with the combat and the investigating. Because the, the investigating of the farm took a little bit longer for them actually to find clues and such. So uh, it was kind of cool. They got to, to face the headless horseman. It's a, a fun thing for them for Halloween. But then they continued on. 
Several days later, that you find that they finally exit the cursed woods, uh, and according to the information they'd received from the old man on the highway before, uh, they shouldn't be but just a day and a half outside of Balaman at this point. Um, let me see. Uh, he told them that the faint worn road should uh, take him in that direction, and would also enters into what would be the poorest section of the city. So, like any city, there's your slums area, there's your merchant area, there's your noble area. It's going to be all like that, um, and there are several gates. It's a walled city and there's several gates and there's buildings outside the wall as well. You, know, you can picture that as a castle, right? Probably like the big gates for the major part of the city and then all the buildings outside. People can go in and out throughout the day. At night the gates close up and you're either outside or you're inside. Um, and the gate, the ro- this road kind of leads to, um, would be one of the poorer sides. Because again, now it doesn't get as many stuff. It's actually the southwest side. So they're actually going kind of, they're coming down around the city and going to going to kind of come back in this direction. Sorry. What is that? Why am I getting a notification? My watch is going crazy. There we go. Okay. Um, so let's see here. Uh, blah, blah, blah. So they start traveling. And it's at this point, they're, they're, they're kind of in a... They didn't find any clothes that you know weren't wrapped in zombie guts that they could wear. And even if they could wear those, none of them were going to fit Darsh. So they're like, how are we going to get into the city with... Uh, dressed like this, and we don't have extra clothes at this point. They kind of kick themselves for not buying them when they could. Um, so they've realized at this point, unless the opportunity shows up in the next day or so, they're going to have to try to enter as, as uh, members of the military. Um, so here we go. Uh, and again, remember, they don't have horses anymore either. They're walking. If they had the horses, this would have been faster, but their horses are dead. Um, so they're a, day, a day later... Uh, it's a day later, and as they're and they're almost ready to take a rest from walking, they start to notice people in the distance on horseback. I want to stress that these are people coming from behind them, also heading towards the city. Uh, now they're in a wide set of plains, on what was still a faint road, which had forked a few times, and there's absolutely nowhere to hide. Um, and they also realize that if 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 they could see them, odds are they've seen them because they're just coming straight in this direction. So they're, you know, dressed as they are, and they try to bring themselves up, look noble. Um, and five horses show up, well, and with people on them, obviously. And they could tell that all five of them are clerics of Pandora. And when they arrive, they're like, why are you guys out here? Not that the clergy runs them, but it's a question. Soldiers, what, what brings you out here to the city? And they rehearsed for this. You know, they're like, well, we were sent to the northwest to, or sorry, northeast, uh, to fight in serenity. Uh, The battle did not go well for the Empire. um, And many of us were separated. um, And we've been doing our best to try to return. We've not been able to catch up with the 12th. uh, And we're doing our best to try to, we're going to go to the city to find out where we should go next. Um, The the cleric, the head cleric, who introduced himself as Tarl, T-A-R-L, Tarl. Um, nods and says, and says, he goes, we've had the, we, he goes, we've had the same issue in the southeast. He goes, the, uh, the kingdom of Thoramon was not as easily taken as we would have thought. Um, the, the reinforcements they've received from Paxawal and Arduel have, uh, have kind of brought it to a stalemate. We've not been able to take the, take the, 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 the kingdom. Um, in fact, we're on our way to, back to the city to, Request more men. 
and such. So we're, we're kind of being sent back to give a status of the thing. Um, and it says that uh, it should only be a day. And while we have no horses for you, if you wish, um, you could travel with us and we'll get there together. You know, They were in a spot there. So they're like, okay, do we travel with these guys, which might give us an easier way to get in the city, or do we kill them and bury the bodies and try to take their robes and sneak in as priests? And that's a tough one because they ain't got no magic ability. They don't know anything about Pandoran priests. Or the third option is just kill them, hide the bodies, and go in as normal so they can't get any more reinforcements back for Thorman. Um, and at first, right off the bat, like, of course we'll travel with you. But then they, while they're traveling, they do that. And the, the clerics are very pleasant to them, you know, and so on and so forth. It's like a, you know, it's not like a, we're clerics, so we're better than you. It's a very mutual, like, you know, you're the right hand of the military, we're the left hand of the military, we work together for the causes of the empire. And they get a lot more information about... Thorman just from chatting with him that the uh, as was mentioned um, the king was dead um, to which they kind of look at each other the the, the clerics like, like we know how that happened um, and uh, the civil war was initiated between the the queen and the princess as to who would secede the the king and it was during that that they we're going to just shoot in and kind of take over. But uh, Civil War came to a close much quicker when Paxawal really stepped in um, and really enforced Thorman. So, um, and then Arduel started sending people over. So that, that battle's been going on for weeks at this point. You know, it's, you know, they're out of line. They're not fighting every day, but they're trying to work stuff, you know, siege and all that kind of stuff. So they make their way towards Bailman. And... As they approach the gates, because as they, like I said, the city, as they get there, it's huge. The, the wall, huge, super tall wall, um, and very well kept. Um, no, like, super fancy, intricate designs or anything like that, but it's a very sturdy, uh, looks like a, almost like a, um, let me think, it's like a whitish yellow stone, sandstone, kind of looks like a sandstone, but stronger. And uh, they, they go right through the gates. They're with clerics. Clerics got free. They don't, they don't even get questioned. Anybody anybody at the guards see the clerics show up, they just assume, okay, these are guards for the clerics. All right, go on, you know, go on through. People get out of the way of the clerics. And once they get in a short distance, uh, Darsh and Mercy are like, well, we need to find out about where the rest of our people are. Thank you so much for traveling with us. And I was like, oh, I wish you well, and glory to the Empire, and all that kind of stuff. Um, and it's one of these things where uh, I was being very careful that the interactions they had with everybody were relatively pleasant. Um, you know, it's not like they were in a place where everybody was evil. You know, I didn't want that. This is a kingdom of regular people. And while it may be ruled by an evil dude and the clerics and the military may lean a bit more towards the evil side, um, the regular population is not like that. So it's not a matter of we'll just go in and eliminate everybody because you don't want to kill a bunch of innocents. Um, and I was trying to build a bit of a, of a moral dilemma because at times they, t they were talking about, well, maybe we're going to have to march into Oromon. But all these friendly people are like, well, we couldn't just come in and take all these villages. Plus, they got to see how big their, the empire really is. And the empire is drastically more military than anyone else, but with a kingdom or empire that large, to maintain it, you have to keep your guards spread out. So if they pulled them all to one spot, they'd have a huge military, but then the rest of their empire is left undefended. So um, that's one of their problems. So 
when they get into the city, the first thing they do is they try to get lost. They, they've, they've got some coins at this point that they've picked up through their adventure. Got a little bit of coin here and there. Not a lot, but... Uh, Kwan, you know, is like, hey, stay here. I'm going to go bumble off for a little bit. And they kind of stop somewhere and get a bite to eat or a drink. or I think it was a drink. They stopped at an inn. Um, and then Kwan kind of leaves. And then they're supposed to wait a little bit and then come outside. And they give it about 30 minutes. They come outside. Um, and Kwan casually kind of walks up to them, but now he's dressed like a servant. His armor is gone. Where he got the clothing, they're not sure, but he now looks like just one of the regular people walking around. His bot, his facial features and such are still the changed features from the spell. Uh, it's just the clothing. He, he ditched the armor weapons. Kind of says, you know, this way. they follow him. Um, and they, to another inn where he, he's made arrangements for them to spend the evening. Um, he said, you know, he asked around real quick and found out that it's not uncommon for guards to come in for reasons to deliver messages from different cities. Like I said, the, the military is spread out. So for someone to come rolling in, the symbols on their armor will say the 12th or the 5th, whatever their rank is. But the average person doesn't know who's been sent where. You know, I'm I'm Jim and I'm the butcher. I don't know which the 12th is fighting where. I just know Ormond's fighting a war all over the place. Um and just because the 12th is sent one location doesn't mean all of them were, you know. Uh, so to the average person, unless they come into actual other military people um, or any like of the, what you'd call the uh, um, governing people, you know, because there's an emperor, but he's got minions. Um, there's a lot of, of that type of thing. Uh, let's see. Question from Tristan. Uh, what is your favorite D&D class? I like the traditional wizard. I like a good mage. Um, starts weak, but gets strong. Um... If I, if I don't do a mage, I normally am going to play a rogue. Uh, my favorite rogues to play are uh, smaller in stature, and I like to use um, short range and melee, so I'll use knives a lot. So throwing knives or hand knives. I, I usually stay away from swords. Um, I like to I like to being able to chuck a lot of knives or to be able to do knife fighting. So I like to have like the, the bandoliers crossed with all the knives on my chest and all around. Um, Usually when I make a rogue, I'll, I'll specify. This one's going to be more about ranged. Or this one's going to be all about melee fighting. Um, and they'll focus on one of these. They usually don't focus on both. But I like a rogue that way. But normally if I can choose anything, I like just a classic mage. Um, without any of the extra kits. Thank you for the question, though. I appreciate that. Hmm. All right. Um, all right. So Quan got the servant stuff. And they're spending, they have enough money to spend a day or two in the inn. They don't want to sign and have it sent in because they don't want anybody coming and questioning them. Well, why are you staying in this inn? Why don't you come to the barracks or come here? And they decide they need to get some regular clothes. And Quan's on that. Dressed like a, just an average person or servant. He takes what few coins they have left after they pay for a night at the inn. And finds them some clothing. They go to the inn. Brings it back. Their goal is to head out later that night. Kind of go to the back door and, and leave their armor. Dash it in a trash can or something. Um, but they're going to try to leave in regular clothing and get lost in the city. The downside is they have no more money. So I mean, we're stay. So Quan does a recon that one day while they're kind of hanging out at the inn. And he's trying to find a bunch of things. While, not, while being sneaky. 
what's the layout of the city? They have a rough layout, but they need better information. The center of the city is the main emperor's building, but the main that's also a temple because the emperor is, they believe from what they've learned, some form of cleric of Pandora as well. Um, which would make sense. This is a very religious-based society. Uh, all based on Pandora, the goddess of lies and deceit. What a cheery group, right? Um, so, um, he's out for the day. They come back with their clothes. They take off. The only thing that Quan's been able to find as a potential hideout is the sewers. He says that the sewers are very well maintained and kept. Um, so, it's not you know, uncommon for city workers and such to be making sure there's no problems down there. He goes, but if we if we can find an entrance to the sewers in like a slums area, sometimes homeless people and such will build up in there. We just want to avoid those areas because regularly he's learned that the city guard will come through and clear them out. They don't want, if you're homeless, then we're going to give you a home against your will. You know, like you are now working in the quarries or you're now working in the, you know, you, you we're going to, enslave you for a period of time because slavery is another thing it's very very big in this way so even the nice people that they've met throughout the, the towns i should have went into this way earlier it was very common for someone to to uh, own slaves and i say that um in the roman fashion where someone commits a crime so they would have to serve a certain amount of years to to buy back their freedom kind of thing um in fact in many ways oramon is based on a lot of historical rome um, when I designed it, uh, especially in its architecture um, and the way that its its government kind of works. Like the emperor said, there is a council kind of like, you know, they have senators in Rome, but in this one, that's the clerics. So the, the clerics themselves would work as the senators uh, who work with making laws and so on, but the head of the, the empire itself is the emperor, uh, who is some form of religion. They don't know what it is. I, I'm being vague because they don't know exactly what he is yet. They only think, he's, is he some type of cleric or is he just a warrior who really likes the church? They're not sure. Uh, question from Glitch Vision. Uh, the biggest question I would be asking is how we know if a cleric of the goddess of lies is telling the truth. Oh, very much so. Very much true. But at the same time, if a cleric of the goddess of lies is talking to another cleric, because that other cleric is a cleric of the goddess of lies, would he have a better chance of seeing through that lie? But the first person might have a better chance of lying because of the magic of the goddess of lies. And these are, that's a very good question. That's something that came up in the past. Um, and I played it like... Um, I guess if you're looking for a, a, an example, um, in Forgotten Realms, there's the drow. In the drow worship uh, Loth the Spider Queen. This is a, a society that's very based on a religion as well. Um, and that is a god that very actively takes a hand in that society. This is kind of the same way. Um, if you're serving the interests of the goddess, she blesses you, you're going to have more success. So if you're doing something to benefit the goddess, even if you're talking to another cleric, she's probably going to help you lie. But if you're doing something that she doesn't feel would be benefiting or be working towards her goals, she would bless the other person, letting them see through your lie. So it's one of those things where there's a lot of backstabbing going on. You never know who's telling the truth and who's lying. And that was something that's, that definitely works in the governing side of this. You know, the emperor trusts no one, you know, at all, even his most loyal people. Doesn't trust anybody. <laughs> How could you, right? He's surrounded by people who worship lies. Uh, but at the same time, he's the greatest liar of them all. 
Another question here. How do you find people to play D&D with? Um, I'll be honest, I teach them. Um, almost every D&D group that I've ever played with, I taught them how to play. They didn't play beforehand. Many of them still have gone off and, and played now in other groups or moved away and, and run their own groups. Um, but everybody I play with, with the exception of one group, uh, I taught how to play. And I learned as a, as a young kid back in Canada, back in the old country, uh, my buddy, best friend growing up was a guy named Michael. And Mike taught me how to play. And his neighbor, uh, lived just a couple doors down, was a guy named Kirk. We had the same name. But Kirk was a cool, older, 17-year-old with a long hair and a motorcycle. And we idolized Kirk. Uh, but Kirk, Kirk had been playing longer, and he was the DM. He had taught Mike, and then they taught me. Um, and some of the other like local kids around there uh, were all our age. So we played there for several years. But when I moved down to the United States, I didn't really know anybody. Um, and Dungeons and Dragons came up as a, I would tell stories, kind of like I am now, whether it be in class or, or at school, and people would like the story. I'm like, yeah, I play Dungeons and Dragons. Oh, wow, I've always wanted to learn to play that. Okay, cool. Let me show you how to do that. Uh, the group that played most of this, the characters, the, the young women that played Darsh, uh, Mercy, Artemis, and Dandy, um, uh, one of the young ladies, I worked with her husband at a factory. He was the head maintenance guy, and I worked there, and him and I became friends. He's decent bit older than myself, but he'd come by and hang out and uh, we would chat all the time. And um, I had just moved to that area. I'd just gotten divorced from my first wife and was living there uh, just kind of on my own. Uh, I didn't really have a lot of friends in that area. I'd relocated for that job because it paid really well. Um, and he came to me one day and he's like, hey, um, my daughter just turned 18 and she wants to go to a local nightclub because she's old enough to do that now. I said, you're a little bit, I was about eight or nine years older than them, but I didn't care. And she's like, I, he goes like, I know you've been to that type of stuff. And I've, he mentioned several times that he thought I'd get along great with his daughter and her boyfriend. He was trying to hook me up by any means, but just, you know, hey, friends. He said, I didn't want to be friends. He goes, I'd love it if you wouldn't mind taking her because I don't trust her boyfriend. He's a little skinny dude. And if anything happens, he's not gonna be able to defend her. And I'm like, yeah, sure. I don't care. Cause he'd already said, talk to her. I said, give her my number, have her give me a call. And she called. And then I spent the weekend just chatting with her and her boyfriend and her other friend. Um, and then down a week, they, we all hung out for a weekend and then they, uh, invited another girl in, which was the other girl who played D and D with us. And then it kind of became a group and we all started playing D and D very soon after that. Because uh, they saw the D&D stuff in my house. They saw all these books and toys and they asked questions about it. And, and uh, one of the girls had read a lot of the Dragonlance D&D novels. So she, she knew a lot of the lore, but she never played. Um, so I was like, you guys want to learn? They're like, yeah, we want to learn. So that there were four people that played. There, was the, there were three girls and a dude. Uh, the dude was this young girl's... I'm trying to not to use names because, you know, respectful. I'm throwing everybody's names out there. But the young lady who was my friend's daughter uh, and her boyfriend and then their two friends. And each of them played two characters. And that's why we had eight main characters at the beginning. Right? Darsh, Dandy, Artemis, and Mercy, the four we have now. And then there was also Shadow, Willow, Zarin, and Fig. Um, after a while, there was some tension. Young lady and the dude broke up. He bumbled off. One of the other girls moved away. Came down to just two of us. We, The storyline ended... And because one of the other girls was off doing her own thing, the young lady who was the daughter of the guy. And just me and the one girl hung out and became uh, friends with a couple other people. And we had a secondary story that took place in this world that I will eventually get to down the road. Uh, we've played some of that. And then the first girl came back 
out of the blue one day and it's like, hey, I miss you guys. I'd like to hang out again. We want to play D&D. So we started playing. And for those of you who've listened in the past, you remember that there was the big war and then somebody had died and they were brought back by Zoltan. He brought the fork back that were played by these two girls. So one of them played Darsh and Artemis. The other one played Dandy and Mercy. So that's why those are the four that ended up surviving. Uh, Zarin and Fig survived. They were both played by uh, her boyfriend. Uh, killed Zarin. Zarin ended up being killed. And Fig now runs New Gullyville. And then the other long, young lady played Shadow and Willow. Uh, and, you know, that's, that's kind of how I found them as a group. And I've found different people in different ways before that and even since. And I've had all other storylines. But this primary storyline um, with has been several groups long. And, and I've played it out over the 30 years I've talked about it. I know it's probably a very long, extensive answer to a much simpler question, but uh, that's, that's kind of how that worked. Um, so yeah, uh, that's kind of how I ran into that. So again, thank you very much for the question. I appreciate that. All right. Oromon. So, uh, Oromon is, is, is a big place with a lot of power and a lot of powerful people. Oromon very, very uh, quickly became uh, a problem for the characters. In the beginning, they found them enslaving, enslaving people around the Serenity area. Then they attack this. Oromon, the kingdom, is an issue for Serenity for a while. So, clearly, that's why I'm going into a lot of detail about Oromon. We're going to be dealing with Oromon for a bit. So, I'm, if you're wondering why I'm going into such detail about it. Okay. So they do find an entrance to the in, to the sewers in kind of a slummy part of town. Nobody really questions it when three people dressed in regular clothes because they do have some regular clothes. They get, they ditched the armor at this point. They have it. They kept it, but they've got it in a bag because they decided they they stashed it and then they take it down to the sewers to their little hidey place. Um, and they find you know twisting way. Quan finds a place away from everybody else, so there's no other homeless people that they can stay pretty hidden. Um, there was like a, a metal door kind of thing that was blocking it. It was like a, a, a room, like a big valve kind of thing, and uh, it was so rusty no one could get through. But Darsh was strong enough to to crack it enough that they could get in. So and then he, he tightens it again, so no one else normal is going to be able to probably just pull that open. So it became a little safe place for them. And over the next several days and week. Quan was really the only one going out on excursions. Um, Darsh and Mercy have way more um, hidden by the spell, right? Darsh's a minotaur, now he's a human. Mercy's a lady warrior, now she's a human dude as well. Uh, so they're, they're very concerned that their uncomfortableness, even though it's been a while, in their own bodies might look odd. Um, and so Quan, being the sneaky, sneaky guy of the group with the least amount of changes, he's doing a lot of their recon, stealing food, pickpocketing coins. He's got all the rogue abilities, basically. Uh, and even though he's a warrior, he's a special class that we'll talk about down the road. But he has those abilities and he's pickpocketing coins and such. And, uh, you know, he tries to aim for noble jerk people. You know, he tries not to take money from poor people. But, you know, they're on a mission to save somebody. He's going to do what they got to do. Uh, Mark says, ODG, you are the man. I really appreciate your explanations. Oh, you're very welcome. Thank you, Mark. I appreciate that. I, I enjoy the questions. Getting to share this and the lore behind the world is uh, a huge thing for me. Uh, like I said, this has been the biggest part of my life for most of my life is this story. And I'm constantly writing more. And even when we get to the point that we get done, everything that's been played, I know what happens next. This is something I can carry on for a long time. In fact, today's episode 26. This is one year of Merge World stories. That's two to three hours, 26 times. 
and I'm not even halfway yet. Another reason why I'm thinking about doing Merge World three times a month instead of just two. So doing it every other week, I think I'm going to do it three and then an off weekend for special stuff like um, Community Day or uh, member streams. And then go back to three, uh, get a little bit more into the story. Because I've been doing a little bit of writing, actually getting some things on paper for what's going to happen after what I've got. I'm really excited to get to it. Hello, Patches. Yes, you're good. Um, so, yes. Uh, yeah, anytime you got questions, please throw them at me. I love it. And again, we've also talked about, I may do a, once in a while a little side short podcast called Behind the Dice, where I just sit down and talk the mechanics of how my world works and how I play D&D and stuff for those people who have shown some interest in wanting to do that. So it's not as much the story, but maybe showing more about the maps and how I design things and uh, special skills and abilities that I've designed, character classes and such. Again, I'm doing this a long time. The world's completely homebrew. So there's a lot of stuff that is outside the normal D&D rules. So uh, there's that. <laughs> oh, the, the crown that the DM has to... <laughs> Very true. The broken crown. What are we going to do, right? Ah, I love it, though. Okay, so they're hanging out down in the poop sewers. Uh, and, you know, they're... They're in an area that they found where they're not going to be all stinky like poop. I, I, I wanted to clarify that. Well, it's, sewers don't always mean sewage, right? Sometimes it's just runoff water and things and so on. And so they, that's kind of an area that they're in. They have to be uh, careful because if a serious rain come in, they've got to be careful they may have to move out. And that's something that uh, I rolled every day for what the weather was going to be. Because I like to add a little, uh, little bit of randomness in there that even I may have to work around, you know? As the DM, it's like, oh, today's raining. What does that mean for you guys? Uh, but fortunately, there was <laughs> there was nothing any really big about that. Uh, blind PC guy, really enjoying the story. First time checking it out. Oh, awesome. Well, I appreciate that you found it. Now, all of the older episodes are on YouTube, of course. You can watch them here. But they're also available as an audio podcast on Spotify and iTunes. So for those people who would rather just listen to the story, um, I usually have it up within one to two days after it ends. In fact, let me do this. There are the links for Spotify and iTunes if anybody wants to do that. And if you do use Spotify and iTunes and you're not really going to listen to there, you'd rather do the YouTube thing. Of course, that's totally awesome. But if you don't mind going by there and, and giving it a follow or a like or if you actually listen to it a review, um, definitely it helps uh, get it out there. The more This is like a YouTube channel. The more attention it gets, the more their algorithm advertises it to other people. Uh, I don't make any money on it. I just want to put it in front of as many people as I can because I'm so passionate about the story. Uh, but yeah. Thank you very much for that. Um, all right. Poop sewers. Hanging out in there. So after it takes about six to eight days, I think is what it was around there, that of Quan's going in out, them living on as little as possible, um, he comes back and he has no idea whether or not Tobias is still alive. That's just information nobody has. What kind of goes on inside the temple is the temple. Um, and nobody else can get in the temple. Right? You know, only people that are allowed in there are the first regiment, um, the emperor, of course, the clergy, and even them, uh, you know, they, they're careful. And then people specifically summoned, you know, like the emperor's like having a party or something. Because he's still a king for all intents and purposes. He may say, okay, you guys are invite, having a party. These people are invited. Or um, bring me all of the merchant heads and we're going to talk about them. You know, that kind of stuff. And we're going to work out a I want to buy this. So, you know, he has those type of things, pull up politicians and stuff during the day. But at night, no one has access to go in and out except for the first, which again is the elite rank. Not the elites. That's a special thing. But the first rank, which are the regular 
police of the empire and kind of the top of the top. The elites are a special thing all of their own. And if you weren't here for that before, the elites always fight in pairs. They dress all in black. They both have two one-handed long, uh, plus one long swords um, and they never speak. They work together. They're very sneaky. They're almost like assassins. Um, but they don't carry anything on them except for two plus one long swords each. And they always fight in pairs. Nobody really knows much. And they, he, casual talking doesn't find up that. You know, doesn't, nobody knows where they come. They just know they're trained somewhere. And it's led to believe that they're more warriors of the church. That's the only thing they did find out. The elites are actually part of the clergy more than they are part of like the city, uh, city guard. Uh, let's see here. Quick question about your D&D experience. When you started playing, what was it like learning to play? It was very easy because, uh, again, I, I, I was playing with Kirk and Mike um, and another guy we knew named Drew, I believe it was Drew we started with. Um, and Mike and I were in school together. We are like 11, 12 years old. So he explained a lot of it to me before I ever played. We rolled up characters at lunch break and recess and such. And then I got to go over to his house one weekend and spend the night. And that's when I got to play for the first time. So I knew a lot of it going in. Um, and it was... Let me see. Good Lord. Um, it was very... See, I started playing when I was 11. That would have been right around 89. So it was 89, 90 that I started playing. And... When I started, uh, Dragonlance had only been out for a few years. Uh, Dragonlance's first novels came out in 1988. And Mike discovered those through Dungeons & Dragons and brought them to me. So we started consuming the novels at a serious pace. And most of our early D&D stuff was Dragonlance-based because of that. Um, and that brings you a lot of lore. Reading Dungeons & Dragons novels is a great way to learn Dungeons & Dragons because it teaches you the class, how the weapons work, a lot of the classic gods. Because when you first start playing, you're normally using pre-written adventures. So they're talking about the gods and stuff that exist already within the Dungeons & Dragons world. All the information you need to create your character is available in different books. Um, homebrewing, which means you know, creating it all yourself, adds uh, a lot of freedom to do whatever you want, but it also makes a lot of work because I have to create a full pantheon of gods. What are their abilities? What do they require? What weapons do they allow their followers to use? All the way up to what type of races are allowed. So Merged World's 100% my homebrew, uh, stealing little snippets from different places. Uh, let's see here. Uh, by the way, by I really appreciate your Minecraft videos. I watched so many of your videos that my dog perks up when your voice comes on. That's awesome, Mark! That is awesome! <laughs> dog perks up! Well, thank you very much for that. I appreciate it. I'm glad that they work for you as well. Awesome deal. <laughs> Alright. Okay. So, uh... So, Quan comes back and he's like, listen. The only way I see us getting into there to see if Tobias is there... Because everything... If Tobias is alive in the city, he's somewhere in the central temple. Which is a very high-graded thing. Uh, like a storied building in the center. Um... If he's anywhere, he's in there, because that's where prisoners go. Not like regular prisoners, but special prisoners. Um, and they're going to have to get inside to search it. Uh, quick question from Blind PC Guy. Have you upgraded the edition of the game throughout the story or stayed on older version? I have only ever played second edition. That said, here in this next upcoming year, I'm going to start doing some more live and actual D&D content on the channel. I've gone ahead and I've purchased all the 5th edition starting books. PC, DMG, Monster Manual, Character Sheet Pack, 
I'm going to have to update the 5th edition just because that's what everybody plays now. Um, and so I'm going to familiarize myself with that. When I do start playing again and bringing live content to the channel, um, it will be in 5th edition. Uh, from what I've read, 5th is a definite improvement over 3, 3.5, and 4 because they were horrible. My experiences with them. Uh, other people wanting to DM and I pop in for a day adventure. I hated the mechanics. I prefer 2nd. But I understand most people who are going to find my story who's into D&D or come to my channel for content is going to be more familiar with the more recent stuff. Uh, so it just makes sense to familiarize myself with that. So people who are watching, maybe even want to play along one day, um, are going to be more familiar with the modern editions. So I will be going to 5th, but at this point, I've only ever played 2nd edition other than a couple little one-day one-offs with different groups who invited me in. Live content. Um, so I thought about, there's a couple different things we've talked about. I've talked about getting a group of people over to play D&D and record the whole thing um, and then edit it and release it as videos. Um, I've also had the concept that down the road, um, what I might do is like one day adventures where I get people from the community, roll a character. That character takes place in merged worlds. Um, maybe in a whole different area you've never seen before. And I get a few people and we play a one or two time adventure. And then I go to a couple other people and do that. And I get a whole bunch of these people with their own characters with little snippets of stories. And then over time, I can come back and be like, hey, are you free this weekend? I'd like you to play again. Now this character's pulled in with that character from a different group. Like, for example, let's just say everybody was a character in Paxwall. And you don't know each other. Yet. But suddenly there's a story that starts bringing some of these people together in different groups and different... So this time you're playing with someone you didn't play with last time. They're used to playing with someone else. And this storyline of all these different little mini-adventures is a major plot line that's going to affect Merge World. Maybe completely separate from Serenity and the group that we're talking about today. But another big, cool storyline, but all centered around a major city like Paxawal. Where it's like, okay, these are people that live there, so you're a rogue in Paxawal. You're part of the Rogues Guild, something like that. Um, and so you're, the Rogues Guild is like, hey, I need you to go steal this thing from somebody. And then you go in there and find out that that person's a prisoner or whatever. You end up joining up with a warrior and a wizard to do something. You're still a rogue. Two weeks later, you're sent with another rogue that's in a different group to go do an all-rogue adventure. So these people may start to learn of each other, or at least they would know about people. You know, uh, be like a year or two away. I'd like to do it sometime next year. Um, I, I'm sure it would be the spring at the earliest uh, because I have to get a little bit more of this story out before I can start bringing people in to affect the world uh, because there's some big stuff that's going to happen that will affect the world. Um, so you, I won't be able to start telling those stories until after that stuff happens, if, if that makes sense. Um, so in, in the storyline, we have to be further in the story before I can start introducing those characters. Uh, another reason to start doing it three times a month instead of two. Um, but yeah, that, like I said, plus I have a lot of friends that I know around my area who've wanted to play. So again, bringing people over, sitting on the couch and filming like a whole six or eight hour adventure um, and then releasing it as one or two hour edited snippets. You know, get rid of all the stuff where people are eating sandwiches or running to the bathroom. Hello, Midnight, can I help you? Is there a reason your butt is under my face in the middle of the stream? Uh, but uh, there's a couple different ways I'd like to do that. Um, and that I've been considering and, and stuff like that. So that's, uh, to answer that question, yeah, it's something I'm looking at doing. Uh, so we'll see. I may have some more information about that uh, as an Extra Life goal on the Extra Life 24-hour charity stream this upcoming Saturday. Hmm, you might want to uh, tune into that. 
Uh, let's see here. Uh, blah, blah, blah. Mark, uh, my first experience was 3.5. Fifth edition is good. Tabaxi rogues are really nice. Yeah, I've heard a lot. Like I said, things like Tabaxi don't really exist as much in second. So there's a lot of race combos, Dragonborn, all that stuff kind of came after second. So while I know a lot of the stories from the novels and such, I don't know any of the mechanics of playing them because they just didn't exist in second. And anytime somebody starts playing with me, I want them to take a basic character. I want people to start with a mage or a rogue or a cleric or a warrior. Get have the game under your feet before we start going to something a little bit more complicated. All right. So Quan tells them the only way we have any chance of getting in there is if we sneak in dressed as clerics. He's like, do I think that's successful? No, but it's the only thing I've got. He goes, getting the clothing of a cleric is already a challenge um, because you can't just go buy a cleric's robe at the store, right? It just doesn't exist. You get them from the temple. You can't. They can't get into the temple to steal any, so their only choices are to take them from a cleric. If they take them from a cleric, eh, he's not going to be cooperative. They're going to have to knock him out or kill the cleric to get his clothes. At the same time, it's not going to be long before someone notices a cleric's not showing up. So if they do this and get the robes, they have to be quick about it before people start to notice. Now, the good thing is there are a butt-ton of clerics living in this city. So much so that you know, it'd be hard for the regular guard to know all of them. That's one thing that Quan's learned. There's just clerics walking everywhere. So it goes, if we dress up, we, you know, we do the thing, we, we go in. Um, clerics have free entry in and out whenever they need. Um, so we can at least sneak in that way. And they talk about it and they decide, well, they don't like it, but if they can go in there and find their way down to the dungeons early, you know, in the night, and then even if they can't get him out and they can find where he is, uh, Tobias, the person they're looking for, then at least they'll have moved closer towards their goal. And as such, Quan gets very unhappy when he's told he doesn't get to go. He's like, excuse me? And Mercy's like, this is how this is going to work. Getting three clerics down is going to be harder than getting two. Two itself is going to be a challenge. Second of all, somebody needs to stay out here in case it doesn't go well. You know, if this doesn't work, we're going to need someone to go back for help. Clearly. We can't all be captured. You know? And if we get killed, I need someone to be able to go back and tell everybody in Serenity what's going on. Right? You need to go back and tell Ulrich. You need to go back and get Lamia and be like, hey, now they're prisoners too, or dead. You got to come in and get Tobias, or revenge, whatever the case may be. Um, and they're like, like, Darsh and I have fought together for years. If it does come to combat, we're going to do a little better together. But most importantly, the main reason they're not letting Quan go is Quan is the one person who has the best chance of getting out of here. His sneakiness, the disguising. He's really good at disguise, clearly. We knew that when we first met him. Quan is the only person that really has a shot of getting, especially if it fails. They get in there and everybody's on high alert. He's the one person who may have a chance of getting out of here and getting back to Serenity without, you know, getting caught and killed. He is very unhappy, but understands everything she says and still argued it for a while. And we role-played that. I was giving reasons why I should be the one to go and not Darsh, I being Quan, and so on and so forth. Um, but in the end, I did as I was told because that's how that works. Uh, another question from Turtles. Anyone ever done something so stupid that it just crumbled the story or the dungeon you had planned? Many, many times, my friend. 
Many times they've made the wrong decision, and I've had to completely rewrite a story arc to match what they've changed. Um, there's two big ones I could think of, but I can't tell you yet because we're not to that point. <laughs> but I'll tell you when we get there, I'll say, and this is what happened, and this is what should have happened. When we get to the big one, I will let you know. So they decide that the next day, at nighttime, now when the city's hushed, they're going to try to... He's found, like, two clerics that are approximately Darsh and Male Mercy's size that seem to frequent an inn or a bar that's a little ways on, a, a distance away. Um, because they, they're still people. They have their own money and such. They can go there. Some of them, they live in the temple, but they have free roam to go out and drink and party on their off day. Um, and they're like, okay, I think, you know, the three of us should be able to take them. They kind of have a, a pattern of so on and so forth. They stay in a smaller... Because there's other, like, small temple sections throughout the city. Not everybody lives in the middle, in that big building. That's the emperor, his staff, the high-ranked clerics, and other clerics go in and out as needed. Like, if we can take out these guys, uh, and they, they're going to have to kill them. At this point, they're like, they can't take the chance that they get away. They're going to kill them, stash the bodies in a different sewer entrance, uh, and then Quan's going you know, to show them how to get there. They're going to go in, and then Quan's going to do his best to try to get some horses, and then they're going to have to try to sneak out of here. Their goal is to try to get Tobias into the sewers and stay one day and then find a way out the next night. Because they're going to notice Tobias has gone pretty quick. They're going to be searching the city, but they don't think they're going to be able to get out that first night. They're going to try, but if things look bad, they need to be able to stash in the sewers. It was very big planning. Mercy and Darce looked at all the angles. They had Quan doing all this recon. The city has a section that's a, uh, that's a slave trading section where there's like a market area. There's a gladiatory area with big arena where there's gladiatory. Again, very Roman-like. There's the, uh, more of a, uh, the ma- uh, uh, cleric uh, section, a noble section where some of the high clerics have their own places and such. Whole mix match of that nature. Um, but they decide to go ahead with this plan. They feel they've got as much information as they possibly can. So that next night, they enact their plan. And I'm going to need you all to give me just one moment while I run to the restroom really quick. I apologize. I try not to do this during stream, but my medication is killing me. Give me one minute. I'll be right back. All right, I'm back. Real sorry about that. <laughs> Try not to do that if I can help it, uh, but mm, sorry about that. <laughs> All right, I'm back. So they decide to enact their heroic plan uh, that will hopefully save Tobias and bring him back. I'm sad Spooky Month is over and I have to take down all the scary decorations. 
I understand. I have to do the exact same thing tomorrow. All this stuff's going to come down. Uh, but in a month, I will dress for Christmas, and then I'll have decorations here. Uh, Jim says, when the players are going through their choices of a plan, is there a timer while they plan, or do they get free time to discuss the options? It's going to de depend on the scenario. This scenario, where they have all night or day to hang out in the sewers, they got all the time in the world they need. If they're wandering in a dungeon, sneaking through, they're going to have a timer. Or... Every so often, I have a timer, and I'm going to roll dice to see if somebody stumbles along or they get a random encounter with a monster or a creature. Um, it depends on the scenario. But if it's a situation like they're hanging out in Serenity and they know they have six days before the war, they got all the time they need to figure out how that works. But on the fly, or a monster, they're driving down the road on horses and some criminals jump out at them, they only have a few seconds to respond. So that's kind of how I roll that. Uh, it's just going to depend on the situation. Roll that. D&D humor. All right, so. Oh, what do we got there? Uh, Mark! Hey, thank you very much, Mark. I really appreciate that donation. Thank you so very much. That is awesome. Thank you so much. I, I, I always never know what to say there. <laughs> it's always flattering when people like this stuff enough that they want to donate. So thank you very much. That is really, really appreciated. Awesome sauce. Thank you, Mark. Uh, my goodness. Okay, um, so they go ahead and... And that's their plan. Sure enough, Quan takes them where they're going to. Um, again, clerics walk the streets unmolested. You know you don't mess with the cleric. Clerics walk around without worry. So they catch them very unaware. Um, and it's pretty brutal pretty quick. Uh, they, they straight up attack and they go to slaughter. Quan literally takes one himself because he's more of the assassin type than they are. And then Darsh and Mercy... Uh, have to take the big one, because they had to pick one that was relatively close to Darsh's size. It's going to be snug robe, but it should hopefully work. Um, and they managed to do that, and they're also trying not to get a lot of blood on the robe. I'm sure you understand. They don't walk you in bloody robes like, hi, we're home from kitchen, from you know, grocery shopping. They need to be a little bit more stealthy than that. So they managed to do that. Uh, they throw the bodies down another manhole area, sewage that near there that they find. Um, and Darsh and Mercy dress up in the robes uh, as quickly as they can. Uh, at this point, they were just wearing some civvy clothes, like regular civilian clothes that Quan had got for them. Their armor and everything is still stashed down in the sewers where they were making camp. And they made sure that that area is very far from where they are now. So if they do have to retreat back there for a day with Tobias, trail won't lead to that. Very sneaky. They did a very good job planning this out. I was very pleased. So Quan kind of leads them to... Um, the beginning here leads them to, you know, as far as he can. He's like, okay, there's the temple, because they haven't seen it. I mean, they've seen it in the distance, but they've not been close to it yet. They've been spending all their time hiding. So Quan's like, okay, there it is. There's the main door. From everything I've seen, you just go in, you nod, they're going to see you, you're going to walk right through. They're literally wearing holy medallions of Pandora right now. Uh, this is not something that someone who's not a cleric would normally do. Um, again, this is a place where they are unmolested. Mark says, I'm obsessed with the campaign. Oh, well, I appreciate that. Thank you very much. I'm glad you're enjoying it. Uh, why did they not go to the carrots and then kill them after the robes were off? It was something like, I, I'll be honest, I don't remember exactly. I know Quan literally came up and just schnicked one. I don't think he slit his throat. It was more of a, like he came up and just like right in the throat kind of thing uh, with his hand over his mouth. And then I'm not sure what, I think Darsh literally grabbed the dude and broke his neck. Darsh can do that. It's if Darsh has, can get a hold of your head, the chance of your neck breaking is pretty quick. Not a lot of blood involved with that, but he's the type of person walk up and he's just like, pop, crumple, fall to the ground. I think that's what Darsh did. He just ended up breaking breaking the dude's neck and Quan snicked to the other guy. 
Um, so there was that. Um, but that was their plan at the time, anyways. Because, again, they had, they had a very small window to get these people as they passed by an alley. And at the time, they were still worried that people might see it. Uh, but they did not. So, they bid Quan farewell. And they're like, Quan, if we're not back in 24 hours, you are to make every attempt to go back to Serenity and get help. If we are dead, you've got to make sure that someone else comes to try to... Unless you can verify... That we're, you know, Tobias is dead too. If something like that happens, go back and, and don't tell the army to come in and try to get vengeance because Serenity will get wiped out by this place now that they know how big Oramon really is. Um, but you need to get word out of what's happened here so that everybody's not sitting here wondering and try to send in more spies and then they get caught. She doesn't want any more of her people to be hurt. Because you need to get back to Serenity. You need to tell Ulrich. And then you need to get a message to Lamia and Paxwell. Those are the two things you do. If we're not back here in 24 hours, you do it as safely but as quickly as you can. Quan, not happy about it, understands his orders and wishes them well. And then he just straight up leaves to a different... to, to kind of sit back and watch in case they come out. So... They head towards the door that Quan pointed at. A door that's not used as much, but it, you know, guards don't seem to be too big. They walk up, their robes are pulled down, which isn't out of the ordinary. As I mentioned earlier, it's a bit fall-like, so it's a bit cooler at night. Stop fighting! Good lord. Cats are fighting. I bought them a new little cat play tunnel that's shaped like a, a big fish, and it's made of carpet, and it's got a thing on the back, and a little dangly toys. They've been fighting over it since I brought it home. It's really cute, though. Um... So, okay, uh, they get there. As they reach, get to the doors, the guards look at them, nod. They nod and they walk through. But like I said, it's cold. So having the hoods up and their hands tucked in, not completely unnatural. A little windy out, a little chilly. These guys may be just wimpier than the rest of them. Um, so uh, they walk through. As they go in, um, they see that the, the, the doorway leads into branches off. And they don't know much of the layout. Quan got very little knowledge about what it looks like inside because not everybody gets to come in here. Um, but he knows that prisoners are kept in basically what's the dungeons area. They had looked for a way in through the sewers, did not find one. Because um, that is something they investigated. Um, and so they walk through and they go into a very large round chamber. It's not exactly round. There's statues of what look like, um, let's just say a kind of Egyptian-like thing with a cat head, but a very female-looking body. Whereas historically a lot of the Egyptian stuff is more male-looking. Uh, so it's more female-looking bodies. Uh, and they are placed around. So the room is flat on each one of those with an alcove. And then there's entrances. Uh, oh, what's that one? <laughs> Mark, thank you very much. Please thank your dog for me as well. <laughs> That's too funny. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. I, I, I know I say this all the time. But my goal is to hopefully one day build this up enough that I can... Uh, do this full time, and you guys can see me on here streaming four and five, six days a week, ten hours a day, uh, and, and people being enjoying my stuff enough to do that. I mean, that means everything, and it really helps it grow. So, thank you so very much. I really, really do appreciate that. Thank you. It's hard to know what to say in those situations. Um, so they're like, okay, we got to find a way down. There's a statue of these female cat-headed things. They're like twelve feet tall, really big. They're on darsh height, normal darsh height. And so they look around like, okay, where are we going to go? And uh, they start kind of looking for a way downstairs. They're trying to be nonchalant. There's not a lot of movement around. It's like 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning. They waited till pretty late on purpose. 
the concern was less people going in the door, they may get noticed more. But at the same time, less people moving around inside, they might get noticed less once they get inside. They successfully got in. Um, so let's see here. Ba -ba -ba -ba. There we go. Okay, so as they're walking in, they're making their way through. Um, they're going down. They're like, okay, they check one side. It doesn't work. They're trying to find stairs down. And they get back to that main room again. And they're about to try down another tunnel. When they hear a voice say, you there, gentlemen. They stop, thinking that it's could be them they're talking about. And they turn. And another cleric is walking towards them. Uh, Turtle says, got to go. I'll probably be back before the end of the stream, depending on when you decide to wrap things up. Uh, we'll probably run at least another 30, 40 minutes. I usually go to about 10.30, 10.45 for Merge World. Uh, so I hope you have a good night, Turtle, if I don't see you again. Um, but they're like, he's like, you there. And he comes walking up. This man has uh, no facial hair, but he's got longer white hair. Um, they can tell by the decorations on his robes and such. And the sigils, this is a cleric of higher rank. This is not a regular one. And he walks up and he looks at them and he goes, awfully, up awfully late, aren't we, gentlemen? And look, almost like a disapproving teacher. He has a very slow, kind of like, up, up awfully late, aren't we, gentlemen? Like very scholarly kind of looking down his nose at them. Um, and Mercy, who they determined was going to talk, because their voices are, the, are, are, are male as well, but Mercy's, uh, Darsh is still pretty low. And goes, uh, yes, sir. We were, and that's all they get out. Yes, sir. We. He goes. He goes. It doesn't matter. He goes. I need some assistance. Come with me. And just turns and starts to walk one direction. This, like, turns his back to them, and they're you know their first look thought and you know they whisper it to each other as players, but they're like, okay, well, he turned her back to us, so he's not afraid of being attacked. So, disguise is working, and they're like, okay, and they're like, maybe this guy will lead us to where we want to go. If not, it's one cleric, and if we can get the jump on him, worst case scenario, right? So they come, he goes, and he gets to a set of stairs, but instead of going down, he goes up. And they fall up the stairs, and he doesn't really say anything, he's just casually moving, he's not in a hurry by any means, and he's moving up the stairs, and finally they get to a couple stories up, and he uh, turns inward off the stairs to a, 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 a tunnel, because the stairs are kind of going on the outer side. Um, and as he's going up there, he goes inside. It's a, like a big round tunnel, and there's a big set of double doors. And he stops, and he stops by the doors, and he stares at them for a second, and then he looks at them, and then Darshan was like, oh, right, and they reach out, and they grab the doors. <laughs> he's like waiting for them to open the doors. Clearly, he has more rank. And they open the doors, yes, and he, he shakes his head like, oh, and he walks into the room. And they walk in as well. And they're two or three feet in when they hear the door close behind them. <laughs> For the record, I'd like you to meet the gentleman that they're following. This is the gentleman that just had them walk with him. Uh, if you're new to the channel, uh, very often I use actors or celebrities um, to be the visual representation of the, of the people I use. So that way, you hearing the story are imagining the same thing that I am. 
that's something I started doing very early in Dungeons and Dragons. I'd be like, you know, find someone that this per your character looks like. Doesn't have to be hundred percent, but approximately. It doesn't have to be a celebrity. It could be somebody you know. Some of these characters are actually based off people that I know, um, in real life, and some people are based off of sports people, TV, all sorts of things. There's many of the Minotaurs. I have actors for them. You would never see what they look like, but their voices are very important to me. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of actors for that. Uh, we thought Snape immediately. I tried to give that implication. But he has white hair with no facial hair. And he's in his black Pandora robes. Uh, the white hair. I was going that route. <laughs> but yes, that's the gentleman. Uh, that's the guy that played Snape. That is correct. That is Alan Rickman. Um who is in one of my favorite movies of all time, uh, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. He played the Sheriff of Nottingham. Uh, but yes, that is Alan Rickman, who plays this character. No, we're not going to learn his name right now, but we will later. The, he's, he's quite a bit ahead of them. They walk through, and the doors close. They stop and look. And then when they turn to look again, they don't see this guy. So they hurry into the room. They don't want to get left behind. And as they do, the room lightens up a little bit. And... There is a large throne with a man sitting upon it. This man is just immediately radiating power. Not just magic, and there's clearly that as well. Darsh and Mercy can just see and feel the aura of magic coming off of this guy. But he also has just that nobility of Clearly someone with that type of power. Leadership, charisma. Even bad guys can still give off that aura of charisma. The type of person you'd want to follow. And they know that they're staring at the emperor. And his name is Emperor Marcus Dawnbringer. The other gentleman is now has walked up and is standing by his side, looking at these two. And they hear soft movements from around them. And looking around the room, they see multiple pairs of Oromanian elites. As we talked about earlier, step out from behind curtains. Because there's like curtains going around the room. It's a throne room. And at least 20 elites step out and are encircling the room. And the emperor just smiles. And he says, You really thought that those disguises would work here? That I wouldn't see through that? And the gentleman next to him, Alan Rickman's character, waves his hand, and Darshan Mercy can feel their bodies changing as the spell is undone. Darsh feels himself growing, whereas Mercy actually shrinks a bit. And well, grows in some areas. I mean, she, you know, things change. Um, as they take back on their true forms. Literally, with just a wave of his hand, he wipes the spell away. That Lamia took a while to cast. He goes, I don't know whether to be honored or insulted. Mercy and Darsh. I'll be honest, I never thought you foolish enough to come here yourselves. 
I actually was fishing for a bigger fish. Or else I wouldn't have kept them alive that long. Flattered, though, again, that you've arrived. I think that you'll still be very, very useful for us. Now, they have no weapons on them. Clerics don't normally wield the weapons, so they're standing there. There's no hope. Darsh is, like, trying to calculate, can I charge in? The Emperor's kind of sitting there with his leg up, just being kind of cocky, and he's not in armor or anything, but he's, he's pretty built. He's, he's a buff dude, for sure. I'm going to go ahead and take his picture down, though. Um, and he says, it's sad that this, this last decision is going to be your final one. Well, no reason to delay the inevitable. You will be questioned. You'll be interrogated. And if you survive, you might find a place for you. Somewhere entertaining. And he smiles, and they begin to hear Lomar speaking. Chanting, if you will. They attempt to rush forward, but barely take a step before they feel their legs give out underneath them as they, everything goes to darkness. And they feel themselves falling towards the floor, but they're unconscious before they ever hit the stone. Both of them completely knocked out. Give me just a moment. Mm Artemis is very tired. She feels like she's going to collapse. She doesn't know whether it's been just days or weeks at this point. All she remembers is running. Whenever she stops, he goads her to continue. We have to go. They're still following us. We can't let them catch up, or I'll have no choice. We have to go faster. And when times come when she literally is about to collapse, or she has to have some rest... Draven will have her open the chest of holding. She'll climb down inside of it. And he'll just take the, take, you know, shrink it back down again. The chest of holding you can fit in, it shrinks back down. And she'll rest inside for a period of time until he again awakens her and tells her it's time to run. She knows that some of her friends are following. Just by the way that he's spoken, he knows that Michael's one of them, so he assumes Dandy's there as well, though she doesn't know who else could be with him. Could be some of the clerics from the temple, Darsh, Mercy. She can't help but wonder how things are in Serenity. By now, the battle would have started. Did they? Did her friends stay to defend their new home, or are they now chasing her after her, after her foolish decision to make promise, make a, a bargain with this man? Hey, hush! Give me one second. Sorry, cats are being dicks. Um. Like I said, she's exhausted. She's been running for days. And they'll stop to eat, stop to drink and such for very short periods. Um, there's plenty of supplies in the chest of holding. But even still, very often, he'll uh, he'll disappear for a while and he'll like, keep running. He'll come back later and he'll have food. Usually some type of animal or game. And then they'll stop, make a quick fire, cook it, and she'll eat it. Um, he eats some as well. I want to point that out. It's a question that, that I got asked. He eats, he picks at it very little, but yes. He seems to eat a little bit of it as well. Cooked, for the record. And then it's time to run again. 
most of the time she's been in forest and she knows that she's very, very far east of Serenity. Farther than they've ever traveled in that direction. You know, the, uh, they've dealt with the south and the east and such. Thank you. Sorry for the bang there. Cats are being dicks. Um, they, uh, she knows that they've never been this far up as, as north as they are with Serenity. It's well outside Serenity's land that they've claimed. So they're very, very far. And most of the area that they're running through now is uh, forest and hills. Forested hills. So it's mostly through trees and such. A couple times they've stopped by rivers and such, refilled waters, had something to drink, keep on going. Um, and mostly she runs it, they has her running at night. During the day is usually when she's in the chest of holding and being left to sleep. Um, and a lot of times, well, she is resting, he's gone. She doesn't know where he is. And he'll just be there, again, go to your, time to get up, we've got to go, they're getting closer, we can't let them catch up. Oh, that bang? Oh yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> Hopefully that wasn't, uh, I'll time that better for uh, more dramatic story stuff. <laughs> um, but, uh, I, my desk is very hollow. Um, so, Artemis does, hasn't been changing clothes. She's pretty stinky. There's been no baths. Running, sweating. Running at night, of course, she's an elf. Running through the woods, not a problem. She did it for, you know, decades when she was a young elf. So running through the woods is not a problem. She's just being run to the point of exhaustion. Um, she's not really having problems losing her footing. She can do that. She's in pretty good shape. As a cleric, she's not portly by any means. She's an elf. She's, she's got the stamina. Um, and elves don't need that much of sleep. If you ever know most fancy stuff, a lot of elves can go days without sleep. Sometimes they can go into just a more of a meditated um, state to rest without actually sleeping. Um, I do use that as well. Um, elves can learn that. Not all elves do it, but elves can learn to enter into a meditative state where they're not completely asleep, uh, but they are resting. Um, it allows them to get strength back quicker than regular people. The normies, non-elves, if you will. Uh, but they're booking it. And he hasn't explained much. Draven hasn't told them what's going on. Doesn't know where they're going. What little snippets he's explained is that he's been searching for someone. Someone who's going to do great evil. That's what he says. And that now that he's found him, he's going to kill him. And he needs Artemis' help. In the back of her mind, she is latching on to the, when, the things like he, the person is evil. Because you know, she swore on to this. You know, she swore by her God that she would help him do this thing she, he needs to do. And so she's, you know, she doesn't want to break that vow. Very religious person. Being a high cleric. But um, at the same time, she can't break her vows to her God like by doing evil deeds as well. And Draven appears smart enough to know that. So she's latching on to maybe in the long run this will be a good thing. I don't know how I'm going to explain it to my friends. Lucas is going to, and Miyasha are going to be pissed. But hopefully if I come back and say, hey, we rid the world of this evil thing or whatever it was, Lucas won't give me too much crap about it. <laughs> but maybe they will. Finally, after, again, losing track of days and nights, it's been at least two weeks at this point. She's awoken from her rest. 
and he tells her, and when she's down the chest of holding, she climbs up the chest of holding, find out that they're in a really nice little grotto. There's a little waterfall. There's some nice water there. Um, where they're at, it feels like midsummer. If you're first tuning in here, this world is very weird when it comes to uh, temperatures and such. So it's winter in some places, summer in others. If you ever go back and listen, you'll get a lot more uh, explanation on that. But where they are, it's midsummer. The water's actually relatively warm and cooling. He says he's going to leave for a little while. She's to clean herself and to dress well. She'll be meeting someone today. And she goes, who am I meeting for what? He goes, I'll tell you when you need to know. And he just goes off into the trees. Again, he's kind of a, he's kind of a dick. Right? I mean, first admit that. The guy's very short. He's not mean, right? He's not like abusive or hitting her or any of that. But he's like, to the point, he's just, you know, you, you'll know when I think you need to know. So he's gone. She's like, well, hopefully he's not watching me bathe because he's trying to be, you know. So she does what she's told because, again, it's the first chance she's had a chance to rest. And to be honest with you, the water feels good. She, she has a nice chance. She gets dressed and she's all cleaned up. She decides to eat something while she has a chance because he's not back yet. And he does return eventually. And sometimes he just, all of a sudden he's there. Like you look at something, almost like he teleported. He's just so quiet, which is a lot. Again, she's got... Really good elven hearing. We've talked about that many times throughout the story. Yet, he can move so quietly through the leaves and underbrush of this forest that suddenly he's just there. If you remember the very first time that met, she was, it was her turn at guard at night, and she was sitting by the fire, and she just turns, and he's sitting right next to her. No idea that they were coming up. Um, that he was, he'd come up there. So... He does finally return. He sees her eating. He kind of nods like, good, you're ahead of the game here. And he comes and he sits down across from the little fire that she's made. Because he's never, he's never kept her from making a fire. He doesn't seem to be worried about leaving tracks. He just wants him to keep going fast. And, um, and so, give me just one minute here and go to this. So, there, uh, he says, in this he goes, short distance from here is a small town. I'm going to need you to go into the town and go to the inn. There you're going to look for a man named Red. He'll be easy to find. He'll be wearing red. Just sit down next to him and say my name. And he'll know what, he'll know what to do next. She's like, do I... What, why am I meeting him? He goes, he has something for you. You're to get it and then bring it back. I cannot go into this town. I'm trusting you to do this. But what he has is of the utmost importance. We have to have it. He's going to give it to you. Payment has already been made. She tries asking a couple questions. And, you know, like I said, once in a while he'll tell her stuff that doesn't matter. Like, where are we? Are they still chasing us? And he'll nod. He's like, yes. He goes, right now they're about four miles behind, so we're going to have to hurry. Uh, they've actually had to stop the rest of their horses. They've been pushing them a little hard the last couple of days. And she asks, who's all back there? She asks several times. He hasn't told her. And he stops. He looks at her this time. And he goes, there are two of them. Your friends Michael and Dandy are chasing us. Which, you know, hearing their names and knowing that, you know, they care enough to chase after her makes her feel good. Um, it also makes her feel good that Mercy and Darsh aren't there because that means they stayed back to, you know, take care of things, you know, take care of the, the war. And she asks, you know, what's going on back there? He goes, no, I don't have any way of knowing what's going on back there. 
Oh, night, Xbox. Have yourself a great night, man. We'll catch you later, bro. Um, but he uh, he says, I can't, he goes, I, I don't know what's going on there. That's not my focus right now. But they're coming. And they're, uh, they're catching up. And he smiles a little bit. And she says, you've said you wouldn't hurt them. He goes, I have no intention of hurting them. I have no desire to do so unless forced to. So again, it is imperative that we keep going quickly. If you're ready, I'll take you to the town. She feels motivated. Yeah, she doesn't want Michael and Dandy to get hurt. And this dude, much like Mercy and Darsh just ran it, is another dude who just kind of radiates power. And she knows he has some magical abilities. He gave her that magical necklace that kind of bonded her when she agreed to the deal. And she gets up. She's like, I'm ready. He's like, okay, let's go. So there, it only takes about 10 to 15 minutes until they're walking the woods and then they come right to a, a, a road. It's a worn road. It's not phenomenally well kept, but it clearly gets a decent amount of traffic. And just up the road a bit, she can see several buildings of a small village. He says, the inn is in the center of town. Again, you're looking for a man named Red. And she nods. She goes, and after I get the item, he goes, leave the village and go north into the trees. I'll find you there. She nods. So kind of uh, straightening herself up, because it's the first time she's talked to anybody in a couple weeks. She starts making her way into this small town that she does not know the name of. I'll be honest, I didn't name it. It's not that important. Hello, Kitty. And uh, she starts making her way in. Now she comes into the town. Again, she's a cleric of healing. So people see her and nod and wave because everybody loves a cleric of healing. I don't care who you are. Having somebody nearby that can heal you is is, is very nice. Uh, let's see. Uh, Blind PC question. Is this taking place at the same time as the Emperor story? That is correct. Um, for those of you who may not have been here a couple episodes or an episode back, um, Artemis, who's the elf we're talking about right now, and Mercy, who is transformed into the dude. Uh, they live in, a, in an area, Mercy's kind of like the leader queen of Serenity, and Artemis has a, a temple there. She's the head of that. Um, Darsh the Minotaur and Dandy the Rogue had come up there because Dandy was getting married uh, to what is now her husband Michael. They found out in the middle of that that a, an army was coming from Oromon to attack Serenity. So in the middle of all that, they had the nuptials and then were preparing to go to war. And just a day or so before the war was supposed to happen, Artemis wakes up to Draven standing in the room saying, it's time to go, get your stuff. Because she'd made a deal a very long time ago that when, she need, when he needed her, no matter what was going on, or no matter where she was, she would leave it immediately and come help him on his quest. And so she had to leave. Michael and Dandy, who are, uh, Dandy is a rogue and a kender, and Michael is a human who's actually pretty small for a human, are also undead hunters. It's their profession. Though we just call them hunters. Michael, of course, I'm reminding, for those who may not be here, but for those who are, Michael has a magical spear named Menandra. It's an intelligence spear that only talks to him. And when he merges with it, it's a spear created specifically to kill undead. He's able to sense Draven. Much as he's always sensed some type of an infection in Artemis, taint of undead, even though she's not undead. Every, he, nobody knows that Artemis made this deal, but he's always known something was fishy. Uh, Arch decided to come and chase and get him back. He's the only one who can track them because of Menandra. Draven's like, if they catch up, he's more powerful than I thought he was. If he catches up, I'm going to have to kill him. I don't want to kill him, so we got to hurry. Artemis left with him. So, then we went on with the other story, and we had no idea what happened to Artemis until now. 
So what we're doing right now is well before they even the horsemen. This is just a couple weeks after the, that first thing splitting. Right, right around now is when the Battle of Serenity is happening against Oromon. Uh, so if any of you go back and listen to the older episodes, that'll probably make a little bit more sense. Uh, but yeah, this, this is the splitting of the group. Um, and none of, her, none of the, everybody else knows Draven even exists. Um, it's just one of those things. Uh, Turtle, do you have any YouTube videos to recommend to help someone learn d and I'm asking for a friend. Um, no, I'll be honest. I, I've never had to look at that because I already know <laughs> how to play. Uh, so I'll be honest, I've never had to look. Um, not to say I won't look myself here very soon. If I'm going to start learning 5th edition, I will probably look up some of the information as well. But uh, if I find one, I'll let you know. But I've never had to look. Okay, so... Artemis makes her way into the village. And again, it seems like it's an early evening kind of thing. The sun's pretty much down, was when she got out of the, whatever. It's, so it's, it's a, maybe 10 or 11 o'clock, getting kind of late. She makes her way to the inn. Even though it's a little bit later, the inn is still have quite a few people in it. Quite boisterous, uh, almost festive. People laughing and joking. And it seems that this, is, this inn is at a crossroads between two major roads um, and a very popular place to stay for travelers and merchants and adventurers. So she comes in, and, and very quickly, one of the barmaids, seeing an elven cleric of healing, uh, is like, oh, my lady, can I get you a table? And so on and so forth. Um, and all the other kind of gets quiet for a minute, because everybody's like, ooh, an elf, which in itself is rare. There may even be another elf in there. I think there was, but even he's like, ooh, another elf. But this being a cleric, it's like, ooh, it's like a noble person walking into the commoner's area. It's like, are we in trouble? Are we making too much noise? What's going on? She walks in and, and seem, does her best to be very uh, confident, even though she's not, and begins looking around a little bit and smiling and tells the lady, uh, I'm actually here to meet a friend. And the lady's like, oh, okay, and goes to help another customer. And she looks around just a moment, and then she's able to see him. In a sea of browns and greens and grays, there's a man sitting at, up near the bar in a almost bright red, a little bit, little bit dark, this side dark of... Uh, of fire engine red. A nice jacket, his pants, even his boots are red. And he has a big red hat with a white feather coming off of it. Oh, I should also mention he's a black gentleman. But he's sitting there and he's having a drink and he's talking to someone behind him and he appears to be telling a story and people are laughing. Artemis comes up and sits down next to him and is sitting there a moment uh, before he finally realizes her and he looks and he, he looks over, stares at her for a second like, why is this incredibly attractive, hot elven chick sitting next to me? He, excuse me, gentlemen. Excuse me. To the other guys, the guys turn off, start talking. And he turns and he looks at him. And when he turns, he's got a smile, but his eyes aren't smiling, if you know what I mean. It's like he's got a pleasant look on his face, but it's forced. Like he's like. And she says, and she looks at him and she goes, Are, are you red? And he nods pleasantly. Still hasn't said anything to her. And she said, um, I'm, I'm here for, for, for Draven. And now the smile, she sees it even go a little weaker. And he's like, I thought that might be the case. I've heard a lot about you. He reaches into his jacket and he pulls out, which almost looks like a, a leather purse thing, almost like a fanny pack without the straps, just a little, like a leather pouch. Sets it on the table in front of him. And he goes, that's it. You make sure you tell him we're square now. We're square. 
I don't want to see him anymore. She nods, takes it pleasantly, and then he, then he, then for the first time, a genuine smile comes back to his face. And he goes, "But you, milady, are lovely, and if I can ever be of assistance to you, please feel free to ask for Red." And she's like, "Thank, thank you, Red. What, what is it you do?" And he's like, "I'm known as the guy who can kind of get you things." Ten points if anybody gets that reference. I'm a finder, if you will. When people need something that they can't get anywhere else, I find it. But I would suggest you hurry. I know he's been waiting on that for a while. Wish him well for me, will you, lady? And she says yes. She was playing it very nervous. The young lady played, did a very good job with the role-playing side of it. And she nods and smiles and gets up and she leaves. And she wasn't in there but five minutes, really. People are looking at her a little weird as she leaves. Like, well, Elvin Cleric walked into the drive-by and then left again. I'm not sure what's happening. Um, but she does as she's told. She leaves out there. And she was coming towards the village from the... She was going east. So now she's going north. Like, she told her to go north in the trees. She kind of just walks through the buildings heading north and finally she sees the forest edge and she goes out behind a house and she's up in the trees and she's not in the trees but two minutes before she knows he's standing behind her and he stops and he turns. He's starting to, she's starting to feel a little bit more of that I know when you're there. Well done, Jim Cooper. Well done indeed. Can you guess the actor that plays him? <laughs> so Morgan Freeman is red. Um, when I originally created the character uh... And we're not going to hear anything from Fred or any more information about Red for a long time. Um, I pictured him younger, um, but then decided to go with the, with the actual Morgan Freeman version of it. So Red's out there. But it'll, if we ever see him again, it'll be long, long from now. So she stops because she, she knows that she's starting to feel a little bit better. She stops, she turns, and he's standing there. And she has a little smile on her face like, ha-ha, I knew you were there. And she holds up the thing, and he takes it, and he opens it. And when he takes it out, she can see that it's a very large and ornate key. And it's clearly was made of, like, silver with some type of, like, gold decorative on it. And it appears like it's very old and it's worn down. So it's got that dingy silver look about it. Um, But... It's a very, very fancy-looking key. And Draven, for the first time since they left that first night, just kinds of smiles. And he says, Now we... He goes, Now we have to have a conversation. He tucks it in his shirt and puts it in his shirt. And she says, Okay, what, what do we need to talk about? She's starting to feel a little more confident. He goes, Oh, not you. Now we have to talk with your friends. Dandy and Michael riding their horses up the road. It's the first time that they've that the person they're following, because again, they don't know his name. They just know something or being has Artemis. It's the first time that he's come near any type of civilization since they left Serenity. In fact, seemed to be avoiding it, but then for the last day has kind of directly parallel to this road. Um, which was a foolish thing. Because it's allowed them to make up time. They know that they're not chasing anybody on horses. They know that whoever it is is very fast. And that Artemis is all... They've found footprints and such from looking. But traveling through the woods, it's not always straight lines. 
but they, this person's only been 10 or 15 minutes off the road for the last day or so, running parallel with it. Michael has to wonder, do they know that they're being followed? Because they don't know. He knows that he's following them. But do they know that he's following? Michael always assumes the worst and assumes that they are. But this is odd. Why would he be running so parallel to the road? Because being able to do that has enabled them to gain a lot of ground. They could have easily gone certainly to the south, out more into the woods area, and it would have been harder for them to go through the trees on their horses and such. But it's been going dead parallel to this road. So, But Michael's not going to look a gift horse to mouse. While he can, he's going to take it full advantage of it. And he knows that they've been getting closer and closer over the last day. In fact, this is the closest they've become. Menandra speaks to Michael. No one else has ever heard Menandra's voice. She only speaks to Michael telepathically. But Dandy knows that Menandra, while Menandra is driven to destroy undead, can only do that in the hands of someone as passionate about it or someone uh, as motivated to do it. And so Menandra is going to do everything it can to keep Michael alive because uh, Michael said to you straight up, she goes, They've destroyed more, she's destroyed more undead in Michael's hand than in the last five or six wielders added together. Um, so she really likes being used by Michael to kill undead because he's more passionate about doing this than anybody else she's ever paired with. This Michael's had to relay that because Menandra speaks to no one else. Merged with, with Michael. Um, and they're going, and Michael can kind of sense undead through Menandra. When they merge, for those of you who watch, when they merge, Michael's hair goes white, starts getting this purple smoke, his eyes go purple, um, and his abilities are heightened because they're fully merging together and they work kind of as, as one. Um, it does drain him to do that. They don't do it unless they're actually like needing it in combat. And the rest of the time, Menandra can sense the undead and will tell him, hey, we need to go north, we need to go so. And that's what happens in this situation. They're riding and he stops short and Danny pulls up short and he goes, what's wrong? He goes, they've switched directions. Menandra says that suddenly they're going north. And they think about it for a second, and Dandy's like, well, they've been, they've been going east this entire time, give or take. He goes, yeah, something's changed. I can't help but wonder if they do, in fact, know that we're following them. Maybe they're trying to throw us off the trail? Artemis may know that we can track them, but he, he may not. I, I don't know. But we're closer than we've ever been. We, we, if they were to keep at their pace, it's possible we could catch up to them within the next couple of hours. Danny goes, then let's go! And turns the horse and starts... <laughs> Michael books off after her. They come into the, the, the same town just a short while later. Again, it's a little bit later at night now. They're a little bit tired. They've been running all day. Um, Michael's very clearly known that this being they're chasing is traveling more at night. So he tries to run longer days to catch up, but they do have to get some rest. But they're, they're so close now, they both agree they want to push on. And they're like, they take a north, they don't even stop in the town for questions. They take a north, take it out of the road and keep heading north. And they travel on a short distance before Michael says, Menandra says that now they're starting to move slightly east again. And they're like, okay, we're going to have to get off the road. So they start going through the trees. The trees are pretty spaced out here. You know, it's not super thick underbrush. Part of it's like plains with trees up there. So they're not having a lot of issues traveling. There's not like tripping. They're able to move pretty quickly. And then once again, Michael stops. He pulls up his horse and kind of spins a couple times. 
and he spins and he's looking and he just gets this really pissed off look on his face and Dandy's like, what is it? What's wrong? They're gone. What do you mean they're gone? Dandy says, kind of snotty. Tell her to look harder. And he points points at the, the staff. He goes, and he stops for a second and he, she can tell he's talking to Menandra. He goes, they weren't but half a mile ahead of us and they just disappeared. Well, what do we do? Says Dandy. Goes, I continue the same direction. Maybe she'll pick it back up, pick up his scent. You know, he goes, I, he's worried in the past because the more powerful an undead person or being or creature is, the further away he can sense it. You'd think a lot of times it'd be the opposite. Like the weak ones would be easy, but the harder ones radiate more of the undead aura, if you will. So Menandra can sense that further. But the more powerful they are, a lot of times also have the ability to cloak that. And he was concerned that that would happen. He's worried now, maybe they got too close that they finally do realize they're being followed and now whatever this is is hiding from Menandra. Menandra's not happy about it either. But that definitely goes to show whoever they're chasing has got some mojo. They decide to continue the same direction they were going, Menandra doing her best to try to find uh, this. And I would say, Menandra, it is a female spirit. Menandra refers to herself as a female. Um, and so Michael always calls it a her and so on. It clearly has a personality. It's not robotic. It's, it's a, the voice he says is female. Um, almost sounds a bit noble in some ways. Reminds him a little bit of Artemis. But they travel. They keep going. And they're coming up. And all of a sudden, they're coming up a hill. And as they get to the top, they've got to stop their horses real quick. Because literally, there's a cliff. Huge gorge. Maybe only about 20 feet across. Far too far to jump, but not that far. But there's just a deep, cracked gorge moving along. They're like, okay, we got to find some way to cross it. And it looks like it narrows up a little bit more to the north. So they turn to the north, going up, hoping to find a way across. And they travel for just a few minutes before they see what looks like a, a, a thin... You know, your classic bridge. Not the really wiggly one, but a relatively handmade rope and wood bridge. Um, but it looks big enough and strong enough that the horses should be able to come through. But as they get up close to it, for they can see Artemis standing on the other side. The other side, there's a bunch of woods there, and it's just Artemis standing at the other side of the bridge. Dandy's like, Artemis! And calls out and stuff. Michael, a bit more concerned, they pull up to the, to the bridge and then stop. Michael's not letting Dandy go. And Dandy's not stupid. Dandy's like, yeah, clearly this looks like a trap. <laughs> but that's Artemis. So happy to see her and starts waving. And Dandy goes, should I check the bridge? Because again, Dandy's ability to find and disarm traps are phenomenal. And he says, no, if there's a trap here, it's going to be magical. I don't think you're going to find it. Thank you again, Mark. I really appreciate that. <laughs> Thank you so much. Wow, you guys are awesome tonight. Uh, I am flattered. I appreciate that. I'm glad you've been enjoying the story. <laughs> and it's funny because we're getting right near to where I'm going to stop for the day too so this is good we're getting to a point to throw this so uh, they stop and they get off their horses and Michael says Artemis are you okay and Artemis nods but she kind of looks over her shoulder a little bit and Michael's like okay he's whoever it is is there because they don't know if it's he believes Menandra senses a male per, but it can't be guaranteed male female it they don't know what it is in there you know what I mean um, and then Draven walks out of the trees and stands behind Artemis. Michael just, you can, Dandy can hear his fists clenching 
on Menandra. And Dandy is a little concerned as well. Because her first thoughts are, woo, he's look he's good looking. But then she's like, oh wait, but he's evil. Mm, yes. Can't do that. And she sees him walk up. For those of you who don't know what Draven looks like, let me throw that out here. Does not look like me. There's Draven. Um if anybody knows Magic the Gathering, Soren Markov, uh, the character. I designed Draven before I ever saw this picture. Um, and then one day came across it, and I'm like, that is exactly what I imagined. There's one more character like that down the road we'll see as well. But we're a ways from that one. But this, 100%, is how I always imagined Draven to be. And sure enough, found, came across that picture by accident. I, he came into Magic long after I stopped playing. Uh, but that is Draven. And Michael's like, release her to us. There's no reason this should come to violence. And as he speaks, Dandy hears his voice starting to get an echo. And she doesn't even have to look to know that his hair's just gone white and the purple started coming out. It's right in front of him. And Dandy looks at him and he goes, yeah, he kind of looks undeady. Like he doesn't have the undead pale to his skin. He's pale. But he almost looks like a muscular elf with long white hair is how she's kind of in her head because she's been imagining like something with tentacles or, you know, something like a hairy creature with huge jaws because, you know, they've been traveling now for a while and she didn't know what this looked like. She's pictured a big slavering monster. He goes, he just looks like a really fancy muscular elf jerk guy who took my friend. Yeah, give her back, says Dandy, frustrated with the situation. The figure across from the gorge says, we need to speak. And I think it best that we have this separation. I too do not wish this to go to any violence. You think you shouldn't have kidnapped my friend, says Dandy, wiggling her finger in the air, sound, trying to sound very fierce and heroic because she doesn't know what this knows about her. He may not know what a Kender is. He might think Kenders are like powerful lich dragons, and so he's not sure. So she tries to be very firm and imposing, even though she's very small. And he, whoever, Draven, they don't know it's Draven, they don't know his name, he leans in and says something to Artemis, and Artemis says, I need you to talk to him and I need you to understand, I'm not kidnapped. I agreed to come with him. Because again, I'm, she's yelling this across the gorge. This is a bit of a revelation. Because they assumed she was kidnapped. But why? Says Dandy. Serenity, and there was a war, and like bad guys were coming. Artemis goes. I made a bargain a very long time ago and I promised that I would help him when he needed me. I promised to my God, Dandy. I promised to, to, to my Lord. You know how important it is when I do that. Dandy goes, ah, crap. Can't break those rules. Those are deals that you have to keep. In her head, again, she's thinking, Dandy gets frustrated. It's like, crap. There's no way I'll talk her out of breaking that one. And Draven speaks and says, And I need you both as well. And this gives them a bit of a shocked look. And even Artemis turns and looks at them. He goes, Artemis is only one piece of the puzzle. Where I'm going, I'm going to fight something darker and more dangerous than any of you have ever faced. But I swear to you, it is a being 
of pure evil, and I am sworn to destroy him. And I need all of your help to make this happen. And you have to help me of your own choice. I cannot force you, or else I will fail. And Michael says, I make no bargains with the dead. My life is dedicated to destroying things like you. And regardless of your motivations, whether you're fighting something good or evil, I will not let you corrupt these ladies in your dark path. Something like that, I said. And Draven just says, Artemis, tell him why you made the bargain. And Artemis goes a little bit pale. She's like, are, are you sure? He goes, tell him what happened. And Artemis says, Michael, when you were under control of the death gem, that's all she gets out before Michael just feels himself starting to go pale, paler than normal, goes, the only way we knew to stop you was to kill you. He's the one that let me save you. He told me how to break you from the gem's path, or uh, control, and how to defeat you without taking your life. He's why you're still alive. And Dandy, shocked, didn't know this either. And has some stern words for Artemis for keeping secrets, because she's always told she shouldn't keep secrets, and that's a little hypocritical. But Dandy sees the glow fading. She looks over and she sees the purple of Menandra starting to fade and Michael's hair going back to black and the purple of his eyes starting to dim down as well. Say what you want. I promise only to listen. Do not promise that I'll agree. And Draven smiles and said, that's all that I ask. And that's where we're going to end for today. We're sitting right at 2 hours and 40 minutes. I try to keep it between 2.20 and 2.45, or else the file becomes too big to load on um, iTunes. <laughs> in case you ever wonder why I keep it in that area, when I do really long ones, I usually have to break it into two separate parts, and I try not to do that on, on iTunes and Spotify. So um, that's what we're going to call it for today. So just to recap, Darsh and Mercy have been captured by the Oromon Emperor. Quan... Nobody knows where he is at this point. Artemis, journeying with Draven, is got some type of mystical key. And now she's been told that it's not just her that she needs. She needs her friend Michael and Dandy as well. And can only assume that Draven is going to attempt to make them a bargain as well. So that seems to be his M.O. But that's what we're going to call it for today. <clears throat> so I'll be back again with more Merged Worlds next Sunday night at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Uh, that'll be our third week in a row. Uh, the week after that, uh, I'll take off because that's when we do the members-only stream for who, people who are part of the channel memberships. Uh, for those of you interested in that, there's a join button on YouTube. If you click that, it tells you all the perks and bonuses that come with the membership. Anybody with a green font in their name is a member. That's one of the perks of the, the membership thing. But we have a member stream once a month. Uh, we play games with the community. We don't stream it. It's just me hanging out with them. Uh, so this next week will be Merged Worlds. And then the week after that is going to be member stream. And then the next three weeks are going to be Merged Worlds again. So uh, it was a lot of fun. <laughs> Teresa Draven, really? Oh, well, okay. Now, Teresa, I want you to know 
When I created this character, I named him Draven because I had intended on playing him in someone else's campaign. That campaign fell apart, and I just kept the character sitting there in the back of my head, on paper, in my head, ready to use him. And uh, finally got the chance in this story. Uh, you always create the people you want to be, right? But that was a lot of fun. Uh, great to see so many new folks popping in. Again, thank you all who've come by and watched today. This is definitely a passion project and it's my favorite thing I get to do. Uh, so I was really excited to get to share that with you guys. Uh, hopefully you'll come back again. Uh, and again, thank everybody who donated. There were several tonight. I really appreciate that. Uh, it definitely helps the channel grow. I do my best to put that back into the channel every place I can. So thank you very much for that. Um, but as always, a special thank you to my members. Again, you guys being a part of the membership. It's what allows me to do a lot of this stuff. Uh, your participation in that program is greatly appreciated. And then an extra special thank you as well to my moderators. Uh, you guys uh, make my world a hell of a lot easier. <laughs> so we're going to go ahead and call that a day. I'll be back tomorrow night uh, for some Minecraft Sky Factory 4 stream uh, at 7 p.m. Eastern. But until then, I hope you all have yourselves a wonderful evening. Hope you had a great Halloween. And thank you so much for sharing this evening with me. You guys have yourself a great day. <laughs>